It's not what you did, son, that angers me so. It's who you did it to. Who? The fucking nobody? That fucking nobody is John Wick. was an associate of ours. We called him Baba Yaga. The boogeyman? Well, John wasn't exactly the boogeyman. He was the one you sent to kill the fucking boogeyman. Episode 171 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and as always, joined by my co hosts, Chris and Dave. How are you both? Good evening, folks. Well, we're back. Back well, again. We're guessing we're back. We so I've, I've fluffed the line, really, haven't I? Yeah. He didn't sound quite that jaunty either, did he? <laughs> Yeah. I'm back. Guessing up, guessing up. Hello. <laughs> yeah. David Walliams is John Wick. Uh, <laughs> That's a film I'd like to see. <laughs> this time, he's too busy writing smash it children's off. novels. Is he? I don't know what he's up to. I don't watch TV very much. Uh, yes, uh, you did screw the line a little bit, but it's all right. Shocking. Positively e- shocking. Evening, Chris. <laughs> Gary! No, I'm joking. <laughs> Hi. Mm. That's really dirty laughing, <laughs> Sorry. Shocking. I'll behave myself yes. now. And we are back because it's been like a bit spotty recently. So sorry about that. It's been spotty since about early December for various reasons of. Health and other matters, and, and Christmas and New Year. Christmas and other competing priorities. Um, to be honest, I'd like to, you know, just retire and do this, but they don't. It, it wouldn't work economically. No, we have That'd to get money for I think. Yeah. Unless the listeners just want to like give us like you know <laughs> three reasons besides <laughs> salary <laughs> forever to do about. 50 of these a year. From a nice hot sunny location. Mm. Including watching the film, we're looking for, you know, a full-time salary for like about 400 hours work a year. <laughs> Not too bad. That's yeah. a dream job. Yeah. So yeah, we've had uh, John Wick as our sort of avatar for a long time. Because <laughs> we meant to we meant to get it done before Star Wars, I think. But there you go, didn't happen. No, apologies uh, for that when we started, but I got halfway through and then I had a bit of a health problem so I had to can that one and we moved on to Star Wars instead and so I now, wasn't actually going to reveal that but yeah that is well no I feel guilty but now we're back got, on the John Wick train very much halfway so. through we've recorded an hour 
but it's been so long now you couldn't really match it up so we're no. just, just doing it again really what? um it's only two, three episodes isn't it so we might as well get the avatar work. it's not a short series um it's a bit of a pit stop of a series for me because um i mean they're not particularly funny films so i'm not i'm hedging my bets on how amusing the episodes we do on them are going to be and and certainly when we get to the fast franchise which just goes from like a bit of a rip off to like (laughs) whatever that series has now become um by the way have you seen the trailer for that for a new one i haven't seen it yet i have not seen the trailer for fast nine i've seen reaction to it which is almost making me not want to watch it not because i think it's going to be bad but just because I've got this mythical idea in my head of what it is now. <laughs> and it can't, it can't be that, unfortunately. But the thing that sums up the Fast franchise to me, apart from things like uh, parachuting in the cars and stuff like that, is that the opening scene of the last proper Fast film, Fast 8, he won the race by going backwards through the line on fire. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Just uh, you just imagine the story conference where they broke that. How can we like raise the stakes? What if the car's on fire? Well, we've had the cars on fire before. Well, what if he's going backwards? <laughs> uh, so, why, why don't we have them in cars um, against uh, what? What have got? The, what have we not done before? Uh, submarine? Yeah, all right, let's do. <laughs> submarine? Yes, yeah. actually, where, where haven't they been before? In space, underwater. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, how does the rock get the cannons out? He sort of flexes his muscles a bit. <laughs> Looks sweaty. And then we're going to drop a car park on them. <laughs> and that'll wake... That'll wake uh, I mean, the rock basically sort of like cures a, a broken his broken arm by flexing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and all it took for, you know... Well, her to get her memory back was for her, a building to be chopped on her boyfriend. <laughs> so that's the series I'm kind of looking forward to at the moment. That's not to say I'm not looking forward to doing this, but um, it's a little pit stop of a series, really. Um, tell us about the first film, Becca. So yes, tonight, it's Quantum Baby, as we start a new series, John Wick, or John Wick Chapter One, as it is now known. Starring Keanu Reeves, Adrian Paliki, Michael Nyquist, and a whole bunch of other names I'm going to murder, Alfie Allen, Ian McShane, okay, Lovejoy, Lance Reddick, Bridget Moynihan, <laughs> and John Lewis somewhere. Um, original music by Tyler Bates and Joel J. Richard, um, written by Derek Colstad and directed by Chad Stahelski and also David Leach, but uncredited. Um, but they're both making their directorial debut and released in 2014. Yeah, David Leach went on to do... Uh, I always knew that it was two directors, but you don't, you never see them... No, he doesn't, have credit, he doesn't have his name credited. Uh, and of course, it was a bit of a calling card for Atomic Blonde, because it was like, this mm. is the female John Wick, really. That's a really good film. That. I'm not sure how much I liked it, but... Um, it, looks, it, looks so she, it looks really, really good. It's very much it? like neo-noir in, the, um, in this vein. There's one very, very long action sequence in it that's like, plays a single take that is superb. And of course, he then went on to do Hobbs and Shaw, talking about the other... Mm. Um, the other series, but uh, we'll get to Hobson Shaw. Um, yeah, <clears throat> coming soon. Uh, so yeah, this is obviously credited to Chad Stahelski, who did the uh, sequels as well. Looking forward uh, to those. When was it released? Um, I have twenty fourteen, but it might not have been. Well, uh, it might have been the US date. That was deliberately pointed. Yes. <laughs> 
Chris, you were about to say. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Tell us all about that. Well, because it was released like in, um, uh, well, at least in the states, and like in round October time, um, mm. and then it was kind of delayed. We we got it like a year. I, I, I want to say it was. Yeah, we had a bit of a wait, didn't we? I want to say it year. was um, 2015 because I think it probably, but uh, it came out here. I think yeah, we, I think yeah, that rings a bell. I think we got it in March. Yeah, it it, I, uh, it, yeah, it, it was it was a similar a similar time to um, Avengers: Age of Ultron, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, about a month in it, probably. Let me just I'll, I'll check. Yeah, it that out, was because they usually sort of came out sort of spring, like March, April time, didn't they? Yeah, so they, they were going to go and see them for my friend's birthday. I mean, I I wouldn't in theory have a, have cared because Keanu's career was nowhere at this point. So a Keanu Reeves film's been delayed. Well, you know. They could have delayed forty-seven million forever. It it wouldn't really have bothered me, but um, of course, then word of mouth starts spreading, and they're, they're all we got it tenth of April. By the way, I'm just looking right at it now, and I think Age of Ultron might have been within a week or so of that. Um, but yeah, so word of mouth starts spreading that this thing's a bit special, and it was just really frustrating. I think I'd seen a rip in the end, by mm. you know, anyway, I just got on and watched it. Um, I did see it theatrically, but I, I have no idea what led them to the, that sort of gap. I don't know if it's because it was, I don't know who did, uh, I don't know who 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 um, distributed the first film. Because uh, it's not the it's not the same as the ones that follow. It was. Let's have a look. It Looks was. Like Summit. Uh, yes, Summit. Summer Entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, they're not massive. It's actually like a Lionsgate label, and Lionsgate in themselves aren't massive. I think they. I think it went to Lionsgate afterwards as it became a name. It it sort of. It's a bit like Bombay and MGM rather than United Artists or whatever. Um, so it was frustrating, and I think they've obviously not done that in the same way with the sequels. They they haven't given us the same weights. Mm. Um, and this film didn't do. You know, it it did uh, budget to box office. It did extremely well, but in absolute terms, you know, the the third one I think opened surpassing the entire box office worldwide of the first film in North America alone mm. in one weekend. So this series has grown quickly. Yeah. Which made it quite a sleeper hit. How did you sort of come across it, Chris? Was it that word of mouth and waiting for it? Well, I mean, I I first saw like a trailer of it um before it was released and I thought, oh, that looks like something that I would very much like to watch. Uh it just it just kind of like it just t- up your yeah, it just totally up my street. Uh, you know, it, it looked cool. Uh, it, it's that type of like revenge film that I that I dig. So it's always going to like have my name on it, regardless. So, like you said, Dave, it was really frustrating uh, how it it just got like you know it, it was it was due to come out at a similar sort of time, like in uh, in around uh, was it autumn two thousand fourteen, like it did in the states. But then mm. just kept slowly getting knocked back. So it was like July and then, oh, February. And then getting knocked back even further to April. Just like, for fuck's sake, when's, when am I going to actually see this in the fucking cinema? Well, that is, that is six whole months. Yeah. Less less about four days. And yeah, and it was getting to the point where it's like, you know, and and of course, by that time, I say word of mouth was actually, you know, this is, this is actually a pretty fucking good film. Yeah, well, I so, pissed. so I was like, "Oh, for <laughs> fuck's sake! I really want to see this fucking film." I you know, <laughs> you know, it's kind of similar to you, but it's like, you know, you went from like, you know, I'm not, I'm not that bothered, you know, Kennedy's action, you know, whatever, to like, 
but I, I started from already kind of Starting. really actually looking forward to seeing it to like yeah, fuck's sake I want to see this film you know hurry up yeah. and they have become like opening weekend watches now but Becky you did see them did you no I I just I did, didn't have a chance didn't have time to get to them unfortunately so um, it's another one I'm, I'm new to but I've done some reading around it know what it's all about and in a new Keanu movie that's I'm there basically um, but yeah unfortunately due to whatever conditions me going on in my life at the time I just sadly didn't get a chance to around seeing them so Looking forward to it anyway. That was before me and Chris came along and gave your life purpose. Thank you. <laughs> I'm grateful oh, that you did. You're welcome, you're welcome Becca. Planet Earth. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, this, uh, yeah. Actually, it was released in this country about four months before we started this. Mm. So uh, yeah, um, I, as I say, I, I I wasn't that bothered. I was just like, you know, his career had descended into not descended to the wrong word he's always had a decent enough career but i was never that convinced by him as an actor we'll talk about that during this episode because when you sort of mentioned keanu reeves though he's kind of i mean he's he's known he's really professional he does care about the medium and also he cares about sort of stunts and all the effects and everything that goes into it but it kind of in terms of his acting he is a little bit unfairly cited um, it's just that i mean we'll a talk a wooden performance yeah, but, yeah, but he's, I mean, of, he's really turned that on his head and that's kind of even though he's he's known for it so now he's making up in being you know kind of you know being a really consummate filmmaker um like I think film, for example point. he doesn't need to give a glittering performance um he just you know he just communicates so so much like with his face with a look or a gesture um or how you know how he how he holds himself even you know he's you know sort of like how he conducts himself is what i'm trying to say <laughs> Um, I think my only point is, if you go and look at his filmography for about five or six years before John Wick, it's not great. Uh, You could go back a bit further than that as well. But, I mean, you go back and the... Before the couple of films before that, 47 Ronin didn't come out too well. Then there's a few bits of stuff... I, that weren't wildly well known. The Day the Earth Stood Still sequel, he was it was bad and he wasn't good in it. Um, no. A couple before that, because it plays on all his weaknesses, it was a very blank performance, obviously. And I just think like you're playing to the cliche of the man, but it wasn't a very good film anyway. Plus, everywhere in the world was in daylight at the same time. It was just dumb. But anyway, um, and then he was in things like The Lake House, which don't really suit him. And stuff like that. And then Constantine was an attempt to get like a franchise off the ground that didn't massively work. So he'd been still popping up in public consciousness, but he he hadn't done anything amazing for quite a while. And his last attempt at like a big film probably was for his 47 Ronin. I seem to remember that coming out around Christmas sometime. Was he perhaps a little bit? Um, pigeonholed, like trying to get away from his sort of Matrix roles or the kind of like sci-fi action roles, perhaps. Did he perhaps suffer a little bit from that and and tried to kind of do whatever he could really try and break well, away from gi- it? Well, given I'm looking at 47 Ronin, which is like Eastern influenced, and then I'm looking at the day the Earth stood still, which is straight out sci-fi, and then I'm looking at the Lake House, which is a romantic film. Mm. And so then it's, you've it's got, quite diverse. The films you've made got, since then. Then you've got diverse. a Scanner Darkly, which was that film that was like rotoscope with animation. Yeah, really amazing. Uh, that was what's he called? The Before Trilogy. That's that guy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Who made it? Also starring uh, Danny Junior. Yeah, R. D. J. was in that. So um, I, I actually think looking, you know, he was in stuff like Something's Got to Give as well, and I'm just looking at it, and I'm thinking, I, I don't think. 
Hollywood were entirely sure what to do with Keanu Reeves, particularly as he was starting to get older as well. And, and John Wick probably wouldn't be the first thing to occur when the yeah. guy's approaching 50. So, um, or was at... at the time. No, he doesn't. Um, so I, I, I think... I think what I'm getting at in a very, very roundabout way is uh, a Keanu Reeves actioner coming out in 2014 stroke 15 was, was totally so what to me. If somebody like Chris had said to me, no, give it a look, it's really good, then I might have said fair enough. But it just built up this life and momentum of its own before we could get it. And it was uh, obviously his career since has been a lot better, a lot stronger. Yeah, because obviously it's like, oh, we now know what to do with him, so now can we use it? Well, to actually be fair, you know, he hasn't really... Well, what's he done outside of this? He's still doing, like, random roles, but he's, he's probably more well-known for this now. But as, mm. like, basically John Wick, um, I think he's always kind of, like, took on, like, stuff that's kind of semi-interesting. Mm. Yeah, well, but... I mean, he did Toy Story 4 as a voice, mm. which he was really good at, so again... Yeah, that was really good. That was quite an enjoyable performance. I didn't, I didn't like the film much, but he was great in it. Um, he did appear in Between Two Phones, the movie. That's brilliant. <laughs> he's, he's obviously just finished Bill and Ted. Um, he's doing yeah, that video game amazing. as well. I can't wait for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I presume it will come out fine. And obviously, you've got uh, The Matrix 4 coming, mm. which I'm very I'm ambivalent really looking forward about. to that. Well, is it what Travis is doing that? Yes. That's not a good thing, I don't think. I'm quite happy for them both to be given money to do things because they try, and I'm, I'm all for that, but they, they fluff two Matrix sequels already. But there you go. Um, so definitely the sort of four or five years after John Wick and the four or five years before are slightly different propositions. So this has done him the world of good, really. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of re- you know, rebooted his career a little bit. I think one of the things that sort of that's kind of discovered about Kenneries is that um, he's actually good at doing like comedy, especially when you when you give him like a dry delivery. It, yes. It's actually funny. He's, he's, yeah, he is. He's, he is funny. And a lot of my assumptions, and we'll talk about it as we go through the film, there's a particular point in the film where I just looked at him and thought, actually, I mean, we said this in the first recording of the show, so I don't know if I've ever said it on a recording that's gone out there. But I was talking about how Keanu Reeves is so gifted as a physical actor that he deserves all the success he's ever had. And I'm almost apologetic for my more youthful in years gone by snobbery towards him. A little bit like Arnie in that regard, actually. Um, but actually, I think it's it's not just action. It's anything. It's almost anything non-verbal. I mean, there's there's a scene in this film where, he, spoiler alert, he finally kills the Alfie Allen character, and the look mm. on his face is phenomenal. And when he looks, when he's reading his wife's letter to him, when she sends him the dog, he is superb. There's it just, just a, a look on his face, or how he, you know, just I, an expression. I think it's just when you give him dialogue that he believes means something and he sort of bows his head and intones in this monotone it's not good i think we see more of that in the second film and the second film as the more i think about this series it's the second film i've got the most problems with even though i've enjoyed all of them i gather it gets a bit more like expository if that's a word right it's a couple of things and we'll talk about it more next week i don't know what chris will, will say in response to this i don't want to review next week's film 
early. No, but, sorry. But my second, but my general points on it is, I think two is the best looking of the three. I think the, the suits they dress him in and the locations they go to, it's the best looking film of the three. But they, my feeling, and this may not be backed up by facts, it's purely an impression, is that they give him more dialogue in that film, and it's not a good thing. Um, and the lore of the world is just pushed a little stage too far. Three has three is the baggiest, in particularly in the second act, but it has like the best action, so that that probably saves it. I, I think. I don't, what do you think, Chris? The series in general, just general impressions. Yeah, I mean, still not seen the two sequels yet. I say, well, see, this is the the, the tighter of, of the three, um, yes. and this is probably the more purism in terms of like of what a film like this is. Uh, I think the other two films are trying to like expand the universe. So, so I think the second one is probably a good sequel to follow on from the next one yeah i'm, I'm <clears> gonna be just to interrupt to say i'm gonna be positive about all yeah, three yeah. but that's the one i'll probably nitpick the most but uh but then it's like you know all, like the problem with all middle films it's the middle film so unless it's like giving giving you something that is significantly special or it's just like or it's just better in quality than than the other three films it's always gonna like be a bit of a bit of a dip that one because it's got a bit more it doesn't really have a middle in film. It. Well, yeah, because it's you know it, it transitions. You normally start the world building bit. Yeah, and improved your concept. And plus, also you're setting up uh, for the next film, which means it feels like you, you don't really have a proper ending. Um, so you're always going to have a struggle. For that I, I actually think I think John Wick Two has almost got the opposite problem, but I won't expand on it. Yeah. I think the problem is the start of that film because no one knew John Wick was going to be a hit. Yeah. So the, the I think the, the the mechanism that puts that film into motion is quite clunky, mm. um, and we start seeing. And I think that will lead me into opening thoughts actually on this one. That the, the first thing I want to say is when you revisit it, having seen all three films, and I saw John Wick three very recently. Two's the one I've not seen for a while. Um, they're both on Netflix though, the two sequels. So I will get to them, and obviously I'll but, be but watching. But not this one, which is annoying. I, I hate it when Netflix do that. I yeah, know. Yeah. yeah no. Why do they do it? Is like a rights issue or something? It's quite annoying. Um, well, I mean, if if Summit is part of Lionsgate, then probably not. No. But, um, I don't know. But uh, what normally happens as well, and you see it a lot with Marvel, is I, I don't know if for if for argument's sake Iron Man Two's on there, and I'm not saying it is at the moment, but at some point it was. When Iron Man Three arrives, Iron Man Two disappears. So I keep thinking, when's Iron, When's John Wick Two going? But yeah. we'll have it done by next week. And I did have a look forward on new on Netflix, and it's not going in the next week or so. So well, they've uh, got so much space on their servers, and obviously they've got all the Ghibli films. So and yes. they're always adding lots of new new things as well. So and we haven't absolutely confirmed, listeners, but offline we have been in serious conversations about doing a Ghibli series. And it, it, Becca offline has only ever asked for about three series that we haven't scheduled, and Ghibli's one of them. And of course. By April, 21 of the films will be on Netflix. The first seven launched uh, today. We're recorded on the 1st of February. So I don't know where to start. I'm tempted to watch one. No, it's one of those things that kind of really is really not a genre that we've done before on the show because it's obviously very kind of action heavy, which, which is fine. Um, but yeah, it just is. I can see there's a lot of listeners will probably be like, ah, we'll skip it, wait for the next series. So, but I'm, I quite like them. They're lovely. And if you're new to animation and anime in general, it's a great place to start. 
Um, Ghibli is coming. It's just whether we do it in one series because we accept that, unlike Marvel, twenty-one films in a row of that might be a tough proposition. Yeah, we can chop, we can chop it up. But it's like there's, um, you know, there's no there's no continuation between the films. They're all they're all totally different. Yeah, well, you um, just do them in batches of seven and do three. Yeah, just just do them in do them in lumps. <laughs> I've never seen but a Ghibli I, film. And neither have I. Well, never seen it. Neither have I. Um, well, now's your chance. So, but yeah, it, it is a little bit like we, we, we never force series on each other and we never turn each other down on series. Oh, no, no, one, no, of course not. I'm not saying, well, you must, but it, you must but do it. it. Is, you will but, do it. No, but, but it's one that you've... you've Gently you prodding. Like, yeah, you keep saying, and it's like, well, we haven't got an excuse not to. They're all on Netflix, apart from, <laughs> exactly. one, apart from one or two rights issues. There's, I think Grave of the Fireflies isn't on there. Uh, no, that's probably for the besters. And they're one, of the, one of their TV films is sort of on there instead. So they've done 21 films and 21 are there but it's not an exact match but it, it's i don't know becca can sort that series out she, she'll tell it's us fine. what we're watching I've, but, i can lend yeah. you the dvd and blu-rays it's fine why would we do that if it's on netflix <laughs> <laughs> uh well um yeah so um it's very light on law you know the 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 first john wick film i mean you get to the second one i say we got a bit way laid there the second one is the one where they start making him more of a superhero kind of i mean he, he's pretty solid in this one but he does get his ass handed to him at one point although he's kind of jumped um the second and third films it, it, the law just gets expanded a bit more on that currency you see a little bit of a little bit more on the rules a little bit more on the sort of uh politics i mean and not not in any great depth but that you'll see like a, for those who haven't seen the, the second or third film you'll see like effectively like uh, almost a 1940s style telephone exchange the sort of thing you could imagine agent carter working at but the women are all like tattooed and stuff so it's it's kind of retro and modern at the same time and the way the contracts are all like set out and and done there and the filing system or none of that's in this film and it, it surprised me when i watched back how light they've kept it um there's a little bit of uh, the whole thing of not doing business on continental grounds which strikes me as influenced by highlander because uh, in highlander obviously you can't um it's religious grounds there um um we'll do highlander one day just for the laugh of ripping to a new one um and yeah hopefully we'll be able to time it with a remake because that is supposed to be coming at some point but um, we were talking about that off air because Chad Stahelski, who did this film, was attached to it at one point, as was Ryan Reynolds. But um, I, I think in general, it, it's really tight, this film. There, there's not a frame wasted. Um, the second and third films both have flaws this film doesn't have. And so it's a perfect it's a perfect action film. There are things in the second film action wise that almost copy this to the point that i was getting fed up with it and it did take the third film to come along to start expanding the action palette a little bit so in some respects it's not quite as good on that regard but it's a real no-nonsense actioner it doesn't waste any time i really love the stylistic thing of how heavily scored it is i mean that would piss you off on most films but this whole film's just got a permanent slightly changing mood to it yeah, the music's all times. Yeah, but there's always music going on isn't there some scenes it kind of it's a compliment it's genuinely just keeping like a little sort of a bit of a vibe to the film 
it would do my head in in, in most other films mm. it just would but it works here i think that's all i want to say about it as we go through i will have praise for keanu my problems with him will largely come next week and they'll be relatively limited i'm you know i'm on board now he's got the he's got the success he deserves in life but it, he does have limitations and only one film in this three falls into falls into them this film he's outstanding and the films, the film is is I, I I did put it in my top twenty of the last decade. I did. Wow. So, uh, Becky, so this is your first watch for you, wasn't it? Yes. You're you're new to the series. What was your first thoughts? As, uh, oh dear. As, as a... uh, it's quantum, baby. <laughs> yeah, obviously not a big fan of the dog cruelty, but. Love how he takes a pit bull at the end. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, and no, I really enjoyed it from start to end. Um, I'm kind of aware of the sequels and kind of they get more explanatory and and longer as they go on. Uh, but no, I love the look of it. I do kind of love like the sort of the neo noir got the genre of it it's kind of tinged with, um, you know, really bright colours contrast with lots of you know shadow and some kind of chiaroscuro effect as well, which, which is quite cool I think. Um, Continental, the big hotel, reminded me very much of. Like the Christie novel at Bertram's, really randomly, um, sort of with its facade of like this really kind of upmarket, quite um, well-to-do, well-heeled hotel, which is obviously really for the for the high fleeting of the underworld. Which book is that? Sorry, um, at Bertram's, I think that's the right one. Um, it's is just that, basically that, a, a, a short bar? story about a hotel, but it's really basically a oh, front right. for for a load of crooks. Okay. Um, just it kind of had that facade to me. Obviously, not kind of based on that, but just that's kind of where my where my mind went really randomly. Um, completely unconnected uh, but no I love very much like the look and feel of this film um, it was just the right run you know just the right run time um, didn't drag too much uh, very stylistic very almost got its comic book you know comic book um, especially in terms of like the, the subtitles and with the speech bubbles for example um, I did kind of wonder if it was based on like a novel or a comic book um, great performances around um, I think it's probably the last time we see Michael Nikos as well which is very sad um, strong female characters um, Adrian Palicki kicks ass and yeah, really amazing cast like Alfie Allen or Ian McShane, um, John Avizan as well. And also, um, I missed somebody out. Who have I missed out? There's this all uh, kinds of people. You know, they got he got uh, you said Adrian Flicky, did you? Yeah. And uh, I, was, I was like, oh, he's in it. Oh, she's in it. Oh, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, um, if you if you just take a look at the cast, you know, I mean, uh, Michael Nyquist. I just think in passing, it's worth pointing out for those who are less familiar with his work, he was effectively the Daniel Craig role in the original The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And the funny thing is, I heard they were remaking it before they... I heard they were remaking The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in the West before I heard casting or I'd seen the original. So when I watched it, I saw him and thought, that would suit Daniel Craig, and he was cast. <laughs> no, There's a slight similarity. Alfie Allen is obviously playing the role not that he's kind of getting stereotyped in. Adrian Palicki, I remember playing Wonder Woman in a TV pilot. Bridget Moynihan's his wife. She was in uh, his late wife that you just see in flashback. She was in iRobot as the lead lady. Uh, Ian McShane, John Leguizamo, but he's he's more in the sequels. Uh, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, that was it. Willem yeah, Dafoe. he's fantastic. Uh, he's you know. And he's he always gives like a hundred percent. Always a pleasure to see him. You know he's going to give like a really intense performance. Um, it's quite interesting. He's also this is going to sound really stupid, but um, so it was Keanu. You know he's kind of he's really known for kind of his looks and his kind of um, like 
quite expressive face <laughs> really extreme facial expressions yeah. um and a lot of time here you kind of see him like in the shadows or you kind of only see him from one side or from behind a gun sort of thing um and it's, i think his spoiler alert his, his death scene is just sort of one of the most kind of really hard-hitting points of the film for me um it really works i'd forgotten all about it really yeah it really does i mean everything mm. here for me is kind of like loose just really does kind of come together really um Perhaps you, perhaps you don't see enough of characters like, you know, Aguizamo or like Ian McShane, for example. He's obviously done a lot more since Love Joy and, and been a you know, huge part of many more classic TV series, um, both UK and, and US as well. He had a spectacular um, mullet in Love Joy for <laughs> in this country. I thought, oh, it's something cheesy to, to note. Ian McShane um, with a mullet being a bit sort of smart casual is, uh, <laughs> is a, is a well, he, was, he was in He was in a new series um, a couple of years ago. Um, over here for Fry TV, and it was shot near, I think, Castle Coombe, um, which is the host, well, it was a really posh hotel. Um, but the whole town, and I think part of the hotel, was, all, was taken over by, by the TV production. Um, and a friend of mine works in there, so he was like, Oh, I, I served, <laughs> served Love Joy. I was like, oh, Right. Yeah. But, was, you know, tenuous uh, connection. Ought to mention Lance Reddick as well, just because. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, of course, yes. He's been in so many things without being a massive star. But he's one of those great it, character actors, isn't he? You kind of see him in lots of different yeah. things. Oh, he's in it, yeah. He was the boss in The Wire. Uh, that's what I've seen him So that's probably, what, that's probably the most like critically acclaimed thing I've mm-hmm. seen him do. And then I saw a few episodes of Bosch, the Amazon Prime series. Oh, I um, And he plays a very similar role in that. He's like, you know, police chief and stuff. Um, uh, yeah, so he's one of these people that, if you've never seen John Wick before, you, you will recognise this actor. He's been in a lot of things, yeah, and a lot of it things. on TV. He's played an awful lot of like agents and cops. Uh, he's done a lot of that, and a few. It's quite interesting here how he's kind of like the chillingly calm, like concierge, and kind of runs everything and keeps everything running smoothly, and, and that kind of scene where he's on. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a massive fight scene. Between here and Miss Perkins, and then he's like on the phone. <laughs> he's like, I "Sorry to wake you at this hour." I think he's like complaining about the noise. He, he's very lean, um, so he he always looks in shape, and he it makes him look disciplined, which so means that he's very well suited for like a police chief and stuff, you know, who will lead by example and so on. And he's always got a bit of a quiet presence, which is quite suited mm-hmm. to this character because yeah. he, he's always a lot more influential and knowledgeable than he ever lets on, isn't he? Yeah, he's 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 one of himself like all knowing but kind of just sort of is there kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's a little slight sort of wink and a nod. He's like, you know, he's very sort of knowing uh, about what's going yeah. on. Um yeah, yeah, it's like as Becca said there's there's tons of people in this film. One of one of the things that that did strike me was like, oh my god, that guy! Oh my god, that is that guy! You know, you got like David Patrick Kelly, who's been in ton, tons of stuff. He he plays the cleaner, uh, Lance Riddick, who yeah, a, a guy. David I, Patrick I, Kelly, the cl- yeah, no, I didn't make that link. Yeah, he's um, uh-huh. he's one. He's the one in. He's been in Commando, so he's the guy. He's um, yes. he's Sully, who uh, who Arnie lets go. Um, uh, he's he's also he's probably more iconic for the you know, screeching warriors come out and play. And, Warriors. Uh, he's like he's the, he's like the the main bad in that, I guess. Um, but yeah, you got him. Uh, you got you know Lance Riddick, who is someone who you probably you will know, you, you recognise, but know. you kind of walk away thinking that's a cool character. You, it, you know, it does stay in your head. Uh, uh, there's there's ton. You know, you got like Kevin Nash who plays like the bouncer. You got it's it's very 
full. Uh, oh my god, it's that guy. Oh, I've seen that well, guy. Well, Lance Reddick um, has always had screen, screen presence. Mm. He's just one of those people you remember. So, in what could be quite a forgettable role, he's actually quite a masterstroke of casting. Yeah. But yeah, you'll know an awful lot more of the sort of minor players than I will because they obviously come from a lot of other action things. But mm. David Patrick Kelly, I know, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So because he looks a bit older as well, he's you know you wouldn't instantly recognise him. But no. uh, yeah, uh, you get also you got uh, yeah. So uh, John Leguizamo. Uh, Leguizamo, we'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ian McShane. Well, I always think I always think of Chef first when I think of John Leguizamo. It <laughs> was oh, yeah, a really loved a film. that film, and I loved him in it. I think I think that's of uh, Super Mario Brothers, but super mario brothers yeah. he's luigi Unfortunately, yeah he did to play watching luigi. super mario brothers is a bit like watching a michael bay film in that like you put oh. it on it fearing the worst and after 10 minutes because the tv set hasn't exploded and your knob hasn't fallen off <laughs> you tend to think well it's not as bad as i expected then you realize you're only 12 minutes in it, it is actually <laughs> and the next couple of hours are interminably long it is a terrible terrible thing. oh my gosh it's really but bad there no, is a moment that. where you think oh this might not be as bad as I thought. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. It's quite funny. A friend of mine, um, we sort of bought, we put, you know, picked up the film like HMV before it shut down. Like one of us bought Mario, the other bought the Ninja Turtles movie from the 90s. And we thought, right, he's going to have the worst time. <laughs> I think my friend who bought Mario came off the worst. I was oh, like, oh. You like Ninja Turtles, so you just, you know. You yeah, I've read Mario better. <laughs> hmm. Oh, yeah, well, like Super Mario Bros. Both, was... both are terrible films, but. Oh, the, the, the first Turtles film isn't that bad. For, I haven't seen it even, except the remakes from so the, like, the recent ones. The yeah, yeah. The oh, I only oh, saw the recent... first one of those. Yeah, well, it's, it's quite physical actually. So it's uh, it's all of it's off the stuff is done like practically. So you got real people in yeah, suits doing in, uh... in camera, <clears throat> and it's it's got like almost like a bit of a gritty, um, gritty sort of uh, feel to it as well. It's it's it's, it's, it's very a Blade Runner esque feel to it. Well. I wouldn't say Blade Runner, but it feels... no, no, but it's got, it's got that kind of like backstreet, like, you know, lots of yeah, steam it's, and that kind of thing. It's it it uh, it's not a big budget, or well, at least doesn't look that, like that on screen. But uh, yeah, the, sort of like the turtles are done pretty well. Uh, but it is a bit of an odd thing. Hang on, this is a Ninja Turtles film, and yeah, it's like gritty backstreet alleys with pe- like, people stuff getting nicked and kids in. Uh... Yeah, and the average fan was very young. Yeah, in this country, I don't want to. Again, I don't want to insult the fan base who like you know adults who might have read the comics and stuff like that. But certainly in this country, the original wave of fandom for that show was extreme. Oh yeah, was, I, I, was I, I, young children. In fact, at fourteen or fifteen, I was too old for it yeah. at that age. I mean, I could have liked it if I'd liked it, but it was definitely like people that were like three to about eight years younger than me yeah i was like there <laughs> and you're you and becca are both in that group yeah, yeah. so i'm it missed me um but yeah, I was, yeah so um yeah you got like you know ian machine who uh i think it's like kind of master of like sort of like looks to the camera kind of acting you know where he's sort of, <laughs> like you can you know someone says something he kind of like looks and looks turns to the camera as if to sort of like yeah, you can going. imagine him in various shakespeare roles actually it's a yeah. funny thing because i think that's a lovejoy thing isn't it to go like hmm, <laughs> the plot thickens <laughs> to be honest i barely i don't really watch lovejoy to me it's a load of still photos of a, like it looks like it looks like a sort of um Jeremy Clarkson tribute act in still photos because <laughs> it's this bloke with a big mullet and a pair of jeans that are a bit too tight who's a little bit too old for the role but the ladies still love him right? <laughs> it's, 
it's kind of a bit like that. But I, I, but I can't actually comment on the show itself because I never watched it. Yeah. Um, 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 amazingly. Uh, sexy antiques <laughs> really, wasn't really the genre I was searching for in classic, classic BBC eh? <laughs> it, it felt a bit like it did feel like the sort of show where they've gone Bergerac's finished what next <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah we've got uh yeah, uh, Daniel and Chris, who uh, he, he does he doesn't do the usual thing of like of being a usual like mob boss. He can, oh, he kinda, like an eye quest, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he doesn't because um, he, he kind of does. Um... He's kind of shitting himself for quite a lot of it. Well, there's there's a lot of humour in what he does because he's he's in that really awkward place where you, typically with a mob boss, he's like angry and aggressive and um, and is like uh, as the, the main character, but. He's the main like villain, but here we've got like a main villain who kind of doesn't want to be in a position where he's in. He's almost like reluctantly, kind of like, oh yeah. for fuck's sake, do we need to do this? Yeah, and by I... the end, he's almost amused by it. He's yeah. almost like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, and plus, you got his like his uh, second hand man who just like is constantly asking him like, can you just yeah in English, please? <laughs> um, yeah, so you got uh, Agent Plinkley. She's she's great. She's very memorable. Um, I'm amazed she wasn't ever a bigger star than she is. Yeah. Um, because she's just got bags and bags of screen presence. Um, like I say, I first sort of encountered her name uh, when David Kelly, the TV guy who's married to, uh, what's she called? Michelle Pfeiffer. It, it, you know, he did stuff like, he was involved in stuff like LA Law, I believe. And he did a pilot of like a TV version of Wonder Woman, mm. like 10 or 11 years ago. I think it was about 2009, something like that. And she was Wonder Woman in that. And they never went beyond the pilot. And that was the first time I ever encountered her name. Um, um, and I think I would note how few things I've seen her in, really. Mm. Um, she's not, yeah, her career's not been what I thought it would be. She's been in the SWAT, fil- uh, G.I. Joe films and SWAT and... Mm. Stuff like that, but she yeah, was in that not, Red Dawn, the remake. I never saw it. Um, I never saw it. So the one actually, that was strapped in development hell for months and yeah. months and months on end. Yes, yeah, that was all to do. That was the. That, I think that might have been to do with MGM's bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Um, for, that that was in the same sort of position as Cabin in the Woods and things like that, where it was sort of sat on the shelf for a while. But she's only got credits for you know a dozen films or so in total. Uh, she's got more on television. Uh, but obviously, I don't watch Agents of Shield, and I know she appeared in that for a while. Um, but yeah, not quite as big a star as I thought she was going to be. But that does the the caveat on that is she's been in one or two fairly big TV shows I never watched. Like she was in fifty two episodes, according to this, of Friday Night Lights. So if you miss that, you don't see her. And she obviously, yeah, maybe she was good. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, she, she was... she's obviously in the Orville now as well. I did do need to mention that, but again, it's not something. It was something I quite enjoyed for a couple of episodes, and then just lost the interest in. Mm. So I've not really seen much of it. But she's 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 good. Yeah, she's definitely good in this. Anyway, um, she's uh, yeah, she's doing some of the things like oh, this is a bit of a waste of potential. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, and oh, Alfie Allen is just playing a, playing good Alfie at being Allen. a scumbag. <laughs> so... Well, he's good at it. Um, he is good at it, to be fair. Um, shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Yes, because uh, 
blimey, we're 40 minutes in already, so yeah, this is a... Uh, anyway, so, Let's do it. Yeah, so the film starts with, like, uh, basically the last scene of the film, almost. We see here, you know, a car crash into, like, a uh, wall, or what, what, what looks like a, the back of a shop or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Kenny Reeves gets out, he looks at his damaged phone, like, looking at, like, picture of his wife. Or like, but it's a video of his wife. Sorry, it, it, what's he got? Like an iPad or something? Yeah, it's something like an. Like it's his phone, it's a phone, isn't tablet. it? Yeah. Oh, is it phone? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's watching a video of his wife on a device. Yeah, it's a phone. You're right. It's a, I can picture it now. It's too small for a tablet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it it's kind of like weird because this kind of does this sort of. It starts with the end bit, but it starts with like uh, you sort of see like a bit of the backstory about what where this character is. You know, with uh, you know the fact that you know. He's been in a relationship with with this woman. Yeah, I mean, we uh, learn widow. He was widowed and all that yeah. later. But the first message I took from this on first viewing was that this is clearly the last thing he ever wants to see. Yeah. So it was not impossible that this is setting up John Wick to die at the end of the film. Yeah. It's not impossible. This was not a franchise at this point. So... Um, and the only other point I really want to make about this scene is uh, uh, Bridget Moynihan is like not a massive name, but a name. And this is actually a nothing role for an actress, yeah, yeah. really, which was a bit of a surprise. But yeah, uh, uh, I'm, I'm just I will we'll look her up as as we we talk and sort of see what else she's been in. But iRobot is the thing that always springs to mind. She's in the TV show uh, Blue Bloods. That's uh, with with Tom Selleck, who uh, isn't Black Panther. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that'll be a different film his police uniform comes out of his moustache <laughs> I'm obsessed with that idea uh, she was in a number of episodes of Sex in the City so we've probably seen her bits um, yeah not a lot else actually that are big names but obviously Blue Bloods ran has run for years mm. she's in that Erin Reagan I've never seen an episode of it but it's Tom. It's a Tom Selleck show. Yeah, and um, yeah. So basically, it's you know, it, it, it kind of. I think it it does the whole explaining um, John Wick's background for you quite well in quite a short amount of time, in quite a convenient way because he's looking at, at, at the video and it kind of like it's it goes in and out and it's all, all sorts of like memories. You're going in like sort of you're seeing little sort of like little bits of this and a bit of that, and it's all told in kind of like. In, in a sequence which does yeah, this could have been this could have been life on mars the whole thing was just a few seconds as he was dying you know yeah. what i mean yeah and yeah so he's just looking at you know he's he's, he's, see, he's seen it he's remembering uh you know his, his wife you know, see, see her fall down and you see sort of like in you know in hospital and you know to get to get the news and and he kind of just sort of blends into like the funeral and you sort of you start seeing it's not it's not like hazy like a memory it starts it's like the movie kind of begins and yeah. at, at, at the funeral uh you see uh william defoe he sort of like he kind of like sort of visits at the back and sends, we sends get his... that he's left some kind of life behind and we can yeah. guess that it might be it's yeah. really efficient what did you think becca yeah, I think yeah, it kind of moves on really efficiently. It doesn't kind of drag and kind of sets up sets up the scene, sets up you know his predicament. Um, it's all very touching as well. As, as I say, it's a shame that we didn't see more of Bridget Moynihan, but might see any down on the line. I don't know. Um, 
you know, kind of like moves along, and you kind of just feel like oh, it just feels like, you know, sort of like a punch to the guts, really. So. Oh well, we'll get to the next scene. Is probably Becca's favourite scene when he when he gets a, gets a little puppy. He's with a dog. <laughs> Again, you know, I, I've been unfair to the guy. Like I say, verbally, I'm not sure about Keanu Reeves, but the heartbreak in his eyes as he's standing over the bed with his wife, you know, um, in hospital. Um, and as he reads the letter that comes with this dog, he's got a sign for the dog. Yeah. It's just n- no questions asked. Someone turns up with a dog and you're like, yeah, I'll sign for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's the sort of thing I'd write, you know. It, like, it, it, will, it looks like it's in the middle of the night as well. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's very late. It's always like at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. It's like, oh. You find out days later they just threw it over the back garden or left it in a shed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be the standard of delivery in this country. <laughs> we left it with your neighbours and he's yeah. on quite a bit of land. It's like a miles away. Yeah. So he's delivered <laughs> a little, miles that way. He's delivered a little beagle. Yeah. Um, yeah. With this a thing. message from his wife beyond the grave. And she's named as well. Mm. She is named. That becomes a thing with like later episodes. The quite the opposite, in fact. But the, he looks at the dog's collar, and it's called Daisy. Oh, Daisy. Mm. I don't know if that's. I don't know what that's a reference to. I've, I'd struggle to think any woman's favourite flowers was a Daisy. Mm. Well, but, I was gonna say later on in the film, does that does that become significant? Or well, I think it was just something that. I think the standard connection that his wife uh, associates with a daisy. I remember seeing like a daisy like mug or something. Okay. Uh, Right, so it's a a motif she likes. Yeah. Or liked. I never picked that up. Fun fact, the dog is actually a boy. Not called Daisy. What's he called? (laughs) Not that it really matters. Fun fact. Matters to me. What's he called? Um, According to some trivia I read about the film, he's called Andy. Andy? I don't really know. That's not really a dog's name, <laughs> like though, is it, really? It's not really, yeah. <laughs> and then many years later, obviously, he would obviously be a voice actor in one of the Toy Story movies, so it all comes together. <laughs> I thought you meant the dog. <laughs> yeah, the dog, yeah. <laughs> and Q and Q. Woof, woof. Yeah, that's what he's called. That's a different Toy Story. Yeah, sex Toy Story. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right, okay. Anyway. One version. Um, this dog now, is now, really... now, now I'm just thinking that that's the sequel Toy Story should have gone. <laughs> Sex, <laughs> Toy Story. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Alternate movies with. Yeah. He spent a lot more time in the sort of RV in my version. <laughs> what you were going to say then? Well, he spent a lot more time in a lot of places. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, again, I think this is not only the importance of the link to his wife, but also it's to show the tenderness of John Wick, mm. the life he's left behind. He's very, very good with this dog, sort of setting a, yeah. set a blanket for him or her as yeah. it's meant to be in the show. And yeah. It's cool. It's, it's, yeah. uh, I, I can, forms a bond with it. Yeah. I can, yeah, I can sort of just to go back to the days thing. I, I can, yeah, I've just, uh, just remembered it's, it's really subtly done that, like, uh, you see, after like uh, she, like, the flashback of she die, you see him in the kitchen, and he picks up a, a, mu- a mug to pour the coffee, in, and you see like the other mug next to it, it's got a Daisy on, so it's like reference like that's her mug. Right. So, so it's, it's really, really, shots. really efficiently kind of like and subtle. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, yes, yeah, she's left a message on basically saying it, it, it really doesn't matter though, because even if you don't pick it up, yeah, I don't think it's an error. 
in filmmaking. We don't learn much about their relationship. It's quite clear that he goes, Daisy, of course. So what it's telling you is they, they had some little links and references between the two of them. Yeah. That, that's all. That's all you need to know. And it's like, yeah, it's like name of the dog anyway. <laughs> so yeah that's what she's called the had the dog be named yeah um what's in the letter it is basically you need something to love isn't it yeah yeah the car doesn't count which is and also... the car doesn't count yeah he's got a big yeah, thing got about like his a car. living breathing thing yeah which is like yeah which, which which kind of goes on to kind of like explain the whole motive really of why uh you know john wick goes back into the world um so yeah, so you get the bit of him like you know waking up the next day and not really knowing what to do. How you know with the dog? He's like, oh, opens opens the door and the dog runs out and he's like, oh, oh shit, yeah, of course you got, yeah, shit and piss, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's just like, you know, the little sort of things like you know, oh, I'm gonna have to pick up some dog food, so gives it a bowl of cereal. Uh, I'm not sure if dogs can eat cereal, but um... I thought I thought they were lactose intolerant, but there you go, don't matter. That might be. Cats. Well, I kind of wondered the same because I remember like with our. Like when Alfie was a pup and with Nan was a pup as well, we sort of give them like instead of like as a go between between like sort of puppy food and, and like solid like human food, for example. Um, my mother would always kind of use like sort of um Weeta books, um and sort of warm milk as well. And they can sort of they can sort of have it. Um speaking of which, yeah, like uh two of our obviously Alfie enjoyed and also Nan likes um lactose free milk as well. Which is <laughs> really random. Well, um, yeah, I was kind of like when given cereal, I was like, hmm, shouldn't that be Weeta books? Hmm. <laughs> If you feed dogs, I was a little bit like, I'm not too sure about that. To us and expect us to talk at gmail.com. It'd be a learning trip for you as well, Dave, because you're getting your pup incoming in the summer. Yes, the intention is I'm getting a border terrier in the summer. So, yeah, I've never owned a dog before. So See how I'll, it goes. I'll be a bit like this, a bit, although probably better at all the action and stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> more or less. bit sexier. How Make sure it doesn't smaller. die. Yeah, the dog won't die. Probably. I'm a bit nervous. No, sorry. Anyway, carry on. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> Side note. So he goes to the gas station. Uh, yeah, so he goes for a bit of a drive in his uh, car. Um, uh, does he take the dog with him? Yes. I think he does, doesn't he? Yes. There's a beagle, he jumps in the car. He's like, come on, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Let's go, does he? Although a bit later on, I don't know if the beagle's still willing when he, when he goes to... Because he goes and has a little thrash around in the car on a track yeah. in a while, which is the only time we need to mention it. But it, it kind of implies there's still a bit of anger he's working out. A, he loves the car, but B... That is that's the equivalent of like I don't know hitting a heavy bag for a while. He's getting a bit of aggression out of himself, and I don't remember if the dog was in the car for that. But certainly when he goes to the gas station, uh, the dog is. I think. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he encounters uh, Alfie Allen and his bunch of uh, Russian uh, shysters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Alfie Allen wants to buy the car from him. Mm. Compliments the car. Compliments him on the car says how much he says it's not for sale gets back in and then he kind of insults him in russian doesn't he yeah he kind of like he, said, he, he starts says. petting the dog and he sort of like says like something like everything has a price bitch i think bitch that was it, it it's a normal sentence but with an insult on the end mm. that's the last word and john answers in russian mm. and drives off and that's where he goes sort of racing around the track for a bit and that's pretty much it for that but yeah um They've noticed him, and they've noticed the car. Yeah, so he's kind of like, he's kind of out with his hand, his best mate slash handlers. Yeah, one of his mates there sort of says, "Have a nice day." A bit, mm. you know, 
And then uh, we're back after the track bit. They're back home, and uh, Daisy nice jumps time. off the yeah, Daisy jumps off the bed, and it's like, do you need to go? Um, and they go. He goes downstairs to let her out, and that's when they're kind of jumped, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Well, they're uh, jumped. He's jumped. Yeah, he's get get hit hit across the head. Mm. Uh, kicked wind down and all that, and um, yeah, they sort of you know break a few things and and uh well this is uh Becca's least sh- favorite part yeah then they shut the it's shut that dog up and it's out of focus but you can see like a swing at it and yeah, I don't, kind of, I, it happens like over over there yeah i, I, I looked I, away yeah it i mean it doesn't matter I don't, they've either broken its neck or smashed its skull Ooh. whatever and that's all we're gonna say on the subject Ooh. that dog didn't really <laughs> sorry um and at least they weren't too graphic with it no, but I think it's enough that that, that provides the impetus. Mm. That's the catalyst, really, for, for for John to sort of say, right, do you mother progress? So. Yeah. So a puppy he's had for presumably a day or so has just been murdered immediately mm. and his car taken. Yeah. And then they take yeah, the, the car. Yeah, two things that I'd enjoy. Mm. And that's all about, you know, a memoir of, of his much beloved late wife. There like, is obviously only one place all sort of dodgy cars are taken to because he knows exactly where to go later on. They take it straight to John Leguizamo for like new plates and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's got and, a chop chop. And he's immediately like, "Where did you get that?" He recognizes the car. Yeah. And then basically has balls the size of church bells in like confronting <laughs> Alfie Allen on it. Yeah, because he, he draws a gun on him as well, and he's sort of like, "Oh, like, look at you!" It's like, <laughs> mm. it's like you know, you're like, "Yeah, I know, I work, no, I work for you, I work for your dad, and all, all this kind of stuff." So, you get, uh, and he's not going to be happy when he when he finds out what you did, kind of thing. Uh, so, he, so he, so he tells him to piss off, um, uh, and then like, uh, then we then we first see uh, Vigo, and he, uh, Vigo calls him. Yeah. Uh, he calls him before he confronts his son, doesn't he? Yeah. He calls him first. Yeah. Because he tells him what he's done. He said because that car he brought here was John Wick's car. And you just go, oh. And really, they could have put dun, 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 music in yeah. because the very name strikes the requisite fear into people. We need to see that fear in. Yeah. So this name is clearly legendary. This is like, um, oh shit. It's becoming clear he's dropped out of the mm. life to pursue a normal life and a marriage. Mm. And that's obviously, well, not gone wrong. He doesn't have any regrets he did that, but obviously that life has ended on him quicker than he expected. Uh, and then, yeah, and then we get um, uh, Yosef or whatever he's called, Alfie Allen, basically yeah. uh, confronting his dad. Yeah, so he, he comes The sort of sort family of... lawyer looking awkwardly on. <laughs> He, he comes in sort of says, oh, the, the mission was success. He just gets punched in the stomach. <laughs> he gets punched a few times and it's well, like... Well, <laughs> you mean, he, gets, he, gets, he gives him a drink, has a sip, but then punches him. Yeah. Um, yeah and but... it's... Yeah, we get the first little bit of lore and legend about the guy, which is walking a fine line. This can get a bit... This can go a bit wrong. When you get characters talking about how legendary another character is, it's normally mm. lazy writing. Mm. But actually, the pencil story sticks with you, doesn't it? It, it, it goes into the other films as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is like kind of told at the same time while John Wick's like, you know, going in his garage and literally digging up his past with a sledgehammer. 
Yeah, it's yeah, uh, quite literally. It, he's concreted over a load of stuff, and yeah. the stuff most of the stuff is implied in that when he gets in there, there's clearly a load of gold coins, uh, not of a currency we would know. Doesn't look a million miles mm. away from like chocolate <laughs> gold coins, you know. Um, there's a load of coins there. They're well ordered, and his some of his weapons and stuff like that. So clearly, that is some kind of currency in that life. And we'll see that as he goes through and he hands coin over and he's, do you want to earn a coin and things like that. And that's really all you get in this film that way. But that that currency means something. Yeah. Um, so and he's, and he's explaining John Wick, you know, killed three people. I once saw him kill mm. three people with a... It's not It's not you stole the car, it's who you stole it from. And, yeah, that's... He sort of sort of applies that you know he, we know he did he did he did a favor to get out this life and now you now my son steals his fucking car yeah uh, and he you mentions like oh, John Wick's a man of uh, of a single focus dedication uh, which kind of goes to show like how I think I think it's actually a good way good way of explaining exactly because he's quite it can come across as quite super powered like indestructible but it's like really where his skill is why he's good he's just really sort of. It's not like he. It's not, it's not like he doesn't get hurt or anything. That's why I, w- I thought it was wise he got his ass handed to him. There's yeah. a there's a plot device in the second film that I won't ruin now because people might watch them in order and you haven't got to it yet. But there's a little sort of detail in the second film that sort of gives an advantage to some that are in this life, and I think it was a mistake. He is a lot more vulnerable in the first film. And, um, yeah, I mean, he takes quite a lot of pain. He does. And particularly the first time we encounter him in action, he gets his ass handed to him because he's effectively jumped. Um, so he's not a super, he's not super powered, but it's a bit like the running times. Chris says this is the tightest and Becca was saying they get longer and they do, but we're only talking by degree. The, the first one's about 101 minutes. The second one's like two hours and the third one's 210. It's not like they've gone hour and a half, two and a half hours, three hours, you know. Mm. Um, and it's the same with the character. He, he is still, he still takes pain in the later films, but yet they just have, you know, he can fall a bit further and take a bit more and they just push it a little bit in that direction mm. in the sequels. I, I do like this approach in this film. Where he's just like a guy who just won't, he just won't, won't quit. And so, so it's, it's, it's that, and it's just you know, rather than you know, of course he's like he's skilled as well, not not all the rest of it, but it's the fact that you know he's dedicated, he's on point, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's all, yeah, he's like special. So yeah, um, so it's that that little detail that sort of explains why he's good at what he does, and you know he's like, well, you you know, I feel like, oh, do you want me to kill him? He's like, so do you listen to the fuck I would I say? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, so he just sort of tells him, no, um, you know, you'll do, you can, you'll do nothing because you can do nothing. He will come for you. I'll get yeah. the fuck out of my sight. No, pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, we get the first reference to the boogeyman. Um, yeah. And we get, you know, as much backstory as we need. Uh, Vigo calls John. Yeah. Uh, He's trying to smooth it over. <laughs> yeah, which doesn't really work. Um, and the next thing we see is like another attack on John's home. Yeah. Because he's after phone call, he sort of orders his. He sort of says, "Well, I've got no option. I've got to, got to send a team in." Yeah. 
and there's about a dozen of them. Yeah. And we finally see what this guy is capable of. And I, th- I thought they, I don't know about you guys, but I thought they used the arc- the sort of um, layout of the house intelligently. We, 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 keep, we keep subtly changing environment. It's then into a corridor and into another room yeah. and there's the stairs and so on. Um, I will get a little bit fed up with this fighting style in the second film. But... Um, this is this is really good stuff. Improvising, aware of what's around him, and just no nonsense. Couple of bullets and done. Well, it's able to actually, uh, you know, see the action as well. I mean, I think that that was probably the the main draw. Well, well one of the main draws of of it. You know, it, obviously it's like very crowd please. Everyone likes a revenge film, but I think when you see an action scene actually done well, and we've we've had you know, you know, before this, we you know. We had a recent sort of you know, the action films basically being like shaky cam or just badly mm. edited, like put together, you know, just just either cover, either, either just down to like lazy filmmaking or just to cover the fact that movie stars like aren't that you know aren't as good as the stuntmen, so they kind of cut around it. Mm. Um, so the action's kind of been lacking in recent years. So at last, it's like, oh my god, we actually seen someone get their ass kicked and it, it looks it, great. It was just a sign they were returning to sense because I remember that whole shaky cam era and it was popularised by, and you do get these little micro eras, it's a bit like you know, after Saving Private Ryan and stuff like that, there were three or four years of everything being fucking desaturated mm. you know, you go and watch something like um, Black Hawk Down now and it's desaturated and overexposed at the same time and it just, it just it's not dated well and then Obviously, the Bourne films became very popular, and everyone thought, "Yes, that that's kinetic." Mm. So, to convey a sense of um, chaos and movement and action, they threw it on bloody everything, and it it's not good. It was never good, you know. And when Bond went in, Quantum of Solace, and they had that turned out. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, Quantum of Solace, I don't dislike as much as a lot of people, but. The action sequences in it are fucking incoherent in place. You don't know what's going on. And it's just because they've just gone, oh, I don't know, shake the camera around a bit. And um, as these having proper establishing shots and things like that uh, is important. It's sticking in the camera and letting what happens unfold in front of you. I don't know how close we were to shaky cam still happening at this point, but definitely it it. It seemed to return us. To, it it was part of an era that was returning us to some sanity after all of that. Well, uh, sadly, I, I went to see the rhythm section tonight, and that's got some shaky cam in it. And I'm like, do, do, people never fucking learn. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think for the most part, it was like it was got to the point where you like had kind of the um, uh, what's the the Taken Two kind of style action. Where it's just mm. all like cut to shit, and it's just all like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Just, just lots of chaos. Well, Taken Three thought you could take a single action sequence and cut it two different ways for two different ratings. Yeah. So in one of the films, I can't remember if it's two or three, in the PG thirteen, in the in the R cut, he's clearly impaled on he clearly impaled someone on some kind of spike in the back of their neck, and in the PG thirteen cut, it looks like he he dies from sitting down. <laughs> that's two that yeah that's two isn't it yeah and it's just you can't do that and i think it was a it was a poor era in action cinema that it it how throwaway must you think action is that you don't think there's a coherent cohesive rhythm to a sequence 
mm. that you think you can just cut a few seconds out and it doesn't matter. Um, no, you need to be able to know what's going on. It's part of the central story, really, isn't it? And I think if you kind of if you do cut an action film in that way, um, then you're going to alienate part of your audience, really, aren't you? And nobody wants that. It was hilarious with Taken. It really was. Um, and and people will say it's incompetently edited, and you go, it, actually, yeah, it, it is and it isn't. Actually, it tells me you've only seen the cinema cut. Uh, which is incompetently edited, but it's not from an original incompetent edit. It's they've edited the film and then they've gone just cut that bit, and yeah. it it does leave bit shots making no sense at all. Yeah, they're huge gaps. The and these films unfortunately have to be R rated. You can't just cut away at the moment where he does shoot and stuff like that. Not when he's firing off as many shots and stuff as he is in this film. Unfortunately, you need the camera to focus and linger and and for us to see this. I never feel with the amount, the speed of the action in it, it never feels wildly gratuitous. We don't focus on death too much, do we? No, no, we don't. I mean, it, it's just about right. I mean, it, it you know, the, you know, it, it feels hard and kind of like and painful, but it doesn't ever like sort of lingers really. I mean, um, I mean, that, but that sort of thing does make you feel a bit. Oof, is that necessary? When it kind of really sort of gets in there, um, but. Yeah, it's all pretty much done. You know, you see, like, you know, necks broken. You know, you know, lots of headshots. Yeah, and it's all just it's it's all just like really sort of fluid, like a dance. Really, the action and that and that's the really kind of what what's the mind about it. Because there's almost a sway to it. Because yeah. you'll you'll sway in one direction to do something, and then he's almost got to turn and lean yeah. back and do something to someone right behind him, and then it's straight to something else. And the car- the camera's almost slightly swaying with him. There's something a bit balletic about it. Um, but in the second film, it does. It does. Well, we'll get we'll get into that next week. But I almost felt three reinvented the action of this series. Mm. But but on first viewing, this is terrific. And they, we've talked about this for quite a while. But he dispatches them all fairly quickly. Yeah. And then like the cops turn up. And he doesn't waste any time, does he? Yeah. You working again, John? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I, the, the films, you know, spoiler, don't really establish that. But the, I thought the filmmakers talk about like stuff for the cops. And there's just like apparently, well, apparently, sort of like the you know how like the criminals have their own little world and rules, and apparently the cops do too. But they all kind of like sort of passes by of each other. And I always yeah. kind of thought, wondered, well, wonder, like, you know, why I haven't sort of like explored that. Do you know? I I thought about it this time. It's it is more in the sequels because you've yeah. got so much more lore in the sequels. Yeah. But I definitely thought like you even see him pay for cabs with this like discrete mm. currency that they don't use anywhere else and it made me think of harry potter just okay. in, just in as much as there's a whole world living concurrently with us that has its own, oh, drink, that's true. own yeah, currency yeah. Own it's bank, got its own, own, own currency spot. its own kind of code of conduct and and it's there but we sort of can't see it yeah it's ministry of magic and, and it's a little bit like that uh there's just I mean, i'm not saying they're remotely similar properties but that that complete coexistence and and it actually makes complete sense that the cops would say that's their business. Well, it is a little bit like that, isn't it? I mean, they're kind of they are completely separate and was mm. uh, it's, it's it's like a trope. I mean, it, it is like a well-known TV and movie trope. That's sort of like a, cops look the other way. It, it does get a little bit confusing in the sequels, though, because without spoiling who and why and how, you do see like contracts being arranged, uh-huh. and they'll say things like two million dollars. 
and you think, okay, so they are using our currency as well. So I kind of thought, oh, what, what was all this business about, like gold coins and things like that? And I was thinking, is it some kind of, obviously it's that meant just, to be kind of really hyper-real. and be in certain environments. Uh, yeah. That and okay. markers, which we'll come to next week. Okay, seem to seem. Uh, Chris, am I reading, are you reading that the same way? Yeah, it's kind of... They still it, yeah. pay each other in American okay. currency. But it's kind of like... Yeah, kind um, of it's, it's kind of set in like a hyper-real version of New Jersey or something, but maybe not. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure like how like the the funding kind of works for these sort of like places like the continental kind of thing but it's almost like you know show your card like a flash of the card you do you're almost isn't it you know yeah um it's almost like oh the but yeah unless they sort of like buy coins with actual money and it's like tokens yeah i don't you know can't, you can't have it unless you're in that world so yeah, unless you're in that the club. moment you've got those co- co- coins it's like you are trust it's not worth overthinking um, no, but, I just kind of thought, but, oh, it's just it's, a fantasy. But no. it's not. It's not a totally hermetically sealed world. You will see reference in next week's to the the the, the bounty is now two million dollars or whatever, yeah. not two two million chocolate coins wrapped in <laughs> foil. So um, yeah, I, I, it's it's a minor point. Yeah, I suppose also the thing with the cops as well. It could be, and and I don't think it's actually explained in the films, but it, one answer could be the fact that. The the police are are the ones for like that actually got like make as long as they make sure that like their world doesn't interact with like the other world. So as long as they don't like sort of if it's go... assassins killing assassins based on contracts coming from assassins, then they're not hurting the general public as it's we like we, that they're maintaining the you know the kind of like it's like well that's this like like as you said like as you said before it's like well. It's mm. it, it's their business. Leave it to it. But if it, when it goes outside of their business, that's that's the their other, permit. Maybe the, the other minor interpretation is they know who John Wick is, and they're leaving him alone as mm. long as he's outside the life. Hence, the first question is: Are you working again? Mm. It doesn't really matter. But it's almost the film's not wildly funny. It's got a few sort of wry moments, and one of them is the police turning up, and you think, "Oh shit!" And they're like, "Right, night then." <laughs> And then a cleanup team turn up, which is you you were referring to earlier. Yeah. And they just basically turn up to dispose of bodies. Yeah, uh, you know, for a coin. Um, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, so they, they, you sort of you almost get like that sort of Tony Scott action shot of them doing the cleaning. <laughs> yeah, it's not a very nice job. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, we're getting, you know, getting like, you know, like a, a montage, gritty montage of like do, do, doing, doing they, a bit of housework. Yeah, they do a pretty thorough job the way they yeah. wrap the bodies and stuff, yeah. yeah. But it's not too long-winded. This film is so tight. Yeah. There are so many filmmakers who would have just really focused on that a little bit gratuitously, and they don't. It's just part of the world that it's just telling us a little bit more, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah, there are teams around to deal with all of this. It's a very well-organized world. Mm. Of course, we do get a reference to our currency now or American currency anyway, because Vigo goes on to offer um, the contract to, um, what's what's the character called? Uh, William Defoe. Yeah, William Defoe, yeah. Um, Um, It's a couple of million anyway. Um, But it's an open call. He's asked, is it, is it a close? Con- is it exclusive? And he says, no, it's an open contract. In other words, it, the word has gone out that kill John Wick, and I'll give you a couple of million. And he's specifically gone to Marcus as someone Wick trusts, and is obviously a bit of a legendary hitman mm-hmm. himself. Uh, and then we're introduced to the Continental, 
which I think is one of the wisest things they ever put in these films. It's a real touchstone of like the style and visuals of this film. Well, they're making a TV show of it, aren't they? They are, based on the Fated Hotel. Um, yeah, it's set in the Flatiron as well. That's yeah, the Flatiron building. That's... It is indeed. I was like, it's kind of it's another one of those films where like the setting is the character. That sounds really silly, but like sort of the areas of sort of New Jersey and around New York as well. It's it's a real it has a real presence in the film. It's not just a location or a setting. That becomes a character in the film as well. We we all know the Flatiron, and if anyone listening doesn't know the name. Google search it. And you it's a really iconic building. You will instantly recognise the you building. Know it when you see it. That's um, in um, Wall Street, isn't it? Or around that area. Yeah, I think it's down that way. And whenever they go in there, I do think of like the Dark Knight, where they mm. went in and out of like Wall Street. I don't know the geography of uh, New York that well. I've only been there once. But um, the Flatiron Building is is an old and iconic building in New York terms. Mm. Um, you see it in various things. We saw it in the Spider-Man films with William Defoe, funny enough. Um, but the con- I just like, there's a nice little bit of world building. They're not just assassins. They're assass- I mean, they dress him really nice. Mm. He has a shower at one point before he leaves home, and you see he's covered in tattoos on his back. Uh, we don't currently know the relevance of those, but there's clearly something in the life with tattoos. And we'll see it in the sequels with the women that work at the exchanges. Mm. Most of the people working there have some tattoos even though they're dressed really like 30s to 50s depending on who they yeah, are really smart business uh, suits but the, the way they dress him in this is absolutely superb and it's just a beautifully styled world isn't it yeah uh very cool very sort of um very noirish you know it's the whole, it is, it really whole, is. whole style is kind of like um sort of neon ne- like a bit well not sort of neon it's not like you know it's not like there's tons of like sort of futuristic neon lights or anything but it just feels very like a modern noir kind of comic mm. book kind of thing um leaning on various a bit, of, bit of gothic style. as well yeah it's, it's something out there's, of, like, of Marlo, bit, isn't it pretty much well there's a, you'll see in the sequels like i say there's something very 30s and 40s mm. about part of it but uh, but there's a bit that and that, that leads into a bit of a mobster element to it mm. in some ways but the other thing i really like is and i've never really thought a about bit, it a bit before. of tim burton batman a bit of you know, yeah, I'd say pretty yeah, bit, not quite as sty- not as stylized, yeah. but yeah, um, and a little bit less time specific. Because actually, Tim Burton's Batman is not time specific, but the stand the styles are mm. clearly forties. Yeah. Um, the other thing I like is for a film that is virt- is wall to wall scoring. When they go into the Continental, most of that drops away, and the Continental is quiet. Yeah, and I like that because it's meant to be like a peaceful haven. And even though it takes a while for the film to tell us this, we kind of sense it already. It's like a little bit of a refuge. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes to, um, he goes there. He recognises Adrian Palicki's character. And we we meet Lovejoy. <laughs> <laughs> we do, yes. Um, um, it's clear he said he, he makes it uh, he meets uh, uh, what's the character called Lance Reddick yeah um, he meets Lance Reddick and Lance and he says to him is it still under the same owner or is it still under the same ownership that will get confusing in the sequels because um, they, they seem to kind of 
go to take it off him at one point, but the, the Winston is the owner and manager of the Continental, mm. has been for some time, and is very au fait with how the sort of this whole assassin's world works. Yeah, he's kind of almost like kind of runs this place kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, he he's a, yeah, he's a sort of a senior figure and mm. a bit of a sort of almost an informant and sort of a uh you know a kind of shouldered not cry on because he's not temperamentally that way but like you know the barman you can tell your problems to as well he's got yeah. a bit of all of that he's actually he's very clean he's very clearly fond of john or jonathan as he always calls him mm. um and he's able to tell him where um alfie allen is yeah he kind of like sort of you know you know Names him, so oh, well, you can sort of go here and do this. You know, he's very much like the confidant almost. Do they mention here that you cannot conduct business on continental grounds, or does that come up after Adrian Palicki actually does? I don't, not sure. Um, they mentioned it during the fight, didn't they? I think. All right, okay, all right. So, I got that wrong. all right, yeah, but yeah. it will come out at some point that, as with Highlander, that the immortals couldn't mm. kill each other on continental grounds. <laughs> And they actually use a similar term here in the sequels you will hear about consecration and deconsecration of these places. Um, so, yeah, he goes to basically um, a club where they're partying. And this is really cool as well. They're in, it's like a bathhouse, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you and nightclub. So it's, it's big, a bit of both. It's, is it called The Circle? I think it's called, isn't it? This uh, red, red Circle. Red, red circle. I've, got, I've got a plot summary. Mm. Um, and so they're, they're in almost like in this like kind of like function room, which which basically is like a pool. Yeah. It's like kind of like a pool. You know, so there are, there are like dance floors and bars there. Yeah. But there are side rooms that are like more spa-like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, a, a cool idea, you know, if you're like rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, um, it, it's quite clear money buys everything because he's surrounded by women and you, mm. you have to think they're probably like high class cool girls and things yeah. like that um, and yeah this, it all kicks off here doesn't it he try, he nearly gets Yosef Yosef ends up running through the club with just a towel around him well I like I like how he sort of gets in where like he just sort of sneaks up on like uh, this bouncer which is played by like you know, huge that. guy Kevin Nash yeah, and, and, and there's about that, yeah it's lots of you, 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 you like some. I forgot, is it like say you're working or are you back, mm. or or it's it's something a lot like that. And it does lead into the famous line later because he never answers the question directly. Yeah, uh, but I can't, I can't remember what he said. I can't remember what he says. But, but he, he, was like, he says, but, "Take the night off." Yeah, he's like, he's like, so he pulls out his earpiece and he's like, "Fine, fair enough." He's like, "Right, he says, thank you," <laughs> and then walks off. You think, well, fuck me! If he's able to sort of do that to this to that guy, fucking hell. His, yeah, what else his can reputation you do? definitely precedes him. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and this is a big guy. This is a very stereotypical sort of bouncer, uh, security guard type. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we so yeah, he's um, is it Yosef? Yeah, he's in he's in yeah. he's in the toilets, and um, he's the first one to get knocked off. He basically sort of just drowns him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he does. Oh, Yosef is the, I think, Alfie Allen's character. Oh, sorry. He kills someone quietly behind him mm. and then sort of st- drowns him in about an inch yeah. of water because and, he's and, trying to get information. And, you know, the song choices, they're not really well-known songs, but, um, well, if they are known from this film, I, I presume. Um, 
they fit the mood of the film perfectly i think yeah, yeah they're so they're really really well used they're like you know like sort of like the, when he's sneaking around in the pool you've got this aquatic kind of like moody kind of it's a perfect mood piece yeah. at all times this film without ever leaving you feel feeling like like the underworlds of this yeah. world that they're just an exercise in style and that's it They've just thought about it. It's all. It is almost like a DJ mentality, though. It is almost like, what mood am I trying to set for yeah. this part? And um, yeah, so when it kind of kicks into like the main club later, later one, it obviously goes in a more techno kind of like kind of kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. There is one stunt I cannot see the because um, he pulls a, a knife into no. There is a yeah, he does get stabbed, doesn't he, John? Mm. Here. But um, there's a bit where he falls just from, like, one floor of the club down to the next off, like, a little veranda bit. And I can't see the join because that's, that's clearly him. It's clearly a hard floor. And it's clearly a fall, but it's not a safe fall for, for, for an actor to do. So there's some trickery there, and I've, I don't know how they've done it. There's probably a little cut somewhere yeah. or it's blue screen or green screen or something. But it, it's very intelligently done for a low-budget film. Yeah, relatively low budget film, like twenty something million. Um, yeah, so we're but yeah, basically sort of he he, tra- he makes a move and um, kills a bunch of guys. Um, really, and he's surrounded. It's great. He's and... utterly surrounded, and he hasn't got time to think. There's one guy he kills, where he kills him almost like round the corner. The moment he sees him, comes mm. around the corner. I think you haven't got time to figure out who's who wants to kill you and who doesn't. He just gets. He just makes yeah. those sort of split second judgments um yeah and you got that it's a bit also like also a little hints of humor as well when he sort of like you know mm. runs out of bullets it hit, hits hits guy in the throat and he just sort of like just gives it time just to reload <laughs> yeah. uh, the reloads are well thought about the choreography of even little things like that just knowing the location you're in the geography of that location where do I want to reload? Yeah. You know what I mean? How many bullets? I don't know how many gun- bullets are in the gun, because I do think several times it seems like he's going through a lot, but we do see him reload often. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm no expert, but it could, you know, tomorrow, so like, these days, could like easily have like 20 in, in those type of guns, couldn't they? I don't know a thing about well, that sort of thing. But yeah, he heads back to the... Co- we meet the guy that we see in John Wick 3, no spoilers really there for Becca, who stitches him up, don't we? Yeah. Um, so, oh, yeah, so, um, then he gets away. Um, he, he He's wounded, because he, he meets one of the bodyguards who is, is kind of like his match. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, he gets away, so he's like, you know, in, in the Continental, getting stitched up, um, he sort of like, you know, literally been stitched up. Yeah, if you got anything for pain, he's like, you know, got his whiskey. Got my whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> got his bourbon. Um, pain is a repeating motif of this series. It is, unfortunately. Mm. Oh, it gets more so in the sequels, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, yeah, definitely. He gets harder to hurt, but he gets almost more hurt, which is a strange thing. But you'll you'll see when we get to two. Certainly by the third film, the guy's taking quite a lot of <laughs> a tough time. Um. Yeah, so he's. So this is where um, this is where uh, uh, Mrs. Per- Miss Perkins gets gets in, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, I think Marcus is ready to shoot him, isn't he? Yes, there's. Um, uh, yes. He's, he's in his room, but the cur- the drapes are open, the curtains yeah. are open, so he's laying on the bed. Uh, I don't know if he's got the TV on. He's he's not he's not gone to bed. He's laying on the bed, so he's sort of you know partially dressed mm. and just laying on the bed. 
and Marcus has got him in his sights and appears to miss deliberately. Mm. Which kind of like is a warning shot for him that sort of alerts that because Miss mm. Bergen sneaked up behind him. Uh, and then, um, yeah, then... So I don't know what Mark the best thinks... I don't know what the best Marcus, think is, Marcus thinks is going to come out of this whole scenario because he's clearly reluctant to kill John. He's taken a contract to do some, some soap, so I don't know if he's hoping the person who gave him the contract is going to be stopped before it happens, whether he's hoping somebody else will do John so he doesn't have to. <clears throat> I'm always a little bit confused by Marcus in this film. I don't know what you guys think. I think, I think we're supposed to be confused, because um, you know we, we're not sort. It, it's one of those kind of roles which is not which you're not meant to know like what's happening to him till the end. You know you could you know if you know if you watch enough movies you can probably guess. But um, I would say he's probably someone who probably doesn't know himself, so he's just kind of like I don't know. I'll show up. I'm kind of, I'm kind of half there. What you know, being a bit of a lookout for him, but I kind of don't know what really to do about the situation. Yeah, and it's, I suppose you can justify missing once. Yeah, but obviously these are such precise hitman, hitmen. He can't keep missing him. Um, so, I suppose I understand the ambiguity of it because when you see him there with John in his sights, you are meant to believe he's going to kill him. Mm. And later on, we see him with his sights on something and we're not quite sure what his motive is for a few seconds. I don't know. What did you think, Becca, the, the Marcus character? Uh, yeah, he's a bit of a strange one, isn't he? Um, on one hand, you kind of think, oh, I, this is me being really stupid. I kind of thought, well, who's, whose side is he on? Um, then he, he kind of occupies a space which kind of crosses crosses that line. He can kind of, I don't know, he's kind of... A bit double oh, agent. Yeah, he's a bit of a double agent. I was going to say, he kind of he crosses both lines. That doesn't really make any sense. Um, but he occupies both spaces. Um, he's a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a guardian angel at times, but then also, at the same time, he's kind of like playing playing off against him. So it's a bit like, hmm. But I think he's very interesting. He does have that kind of like dual nature to him. Um, and very often when you see him, he is like in shadow or when you see him um, like in profile or side on or... He's got one of those faces anyway, hasn't he? Well, he has, yeah. As I, I mentioned earlier in the show, but I didn't mean that in a rude way. Obviously, he's got very sort of unique features, and he's kind of known for having quite a unique look. Mm. Um, I mean, that's why he was chosen um, for, as a villain in the in the Spider-Man movie. Mm. Quite frankly, I'm only surprised um, they bothered putting a mask on him. <laughs> you know, he could have done other things with slight prosthetics. But anyway, we'll get to Spider-Man in a few weeks. But well, I don't um, mean that in a horrible way. You know, he's just kind of he's just known for having that sort of look about him. I don't um, think he would take offence because he's traded on that as a character actor. Well, exactly. I think as an actor, you know, if you've got a unique profile, then you, yeah. you use that as well, don't you? A lot um, in your work, I would imagine. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, no, he's, he's quite I an interesting character for sure. Shocked. Would he? He wouldn't be shocked if if someone said to him, "Do you realise you've got something a little sinister about your look?" Sometimes, I mean, he's he's traded on it. He's entirely. I would sort of pigeonhole you a little bit, wouldn't you? If you sort of, I mean, it's like people like um like Mark Strong, for example, sort of known yeah. for villainous roles just because of his appearance. You just think, oh, a bit unfair. But um, no, he's you know when there's really great sort of actors, um, we could do a, a myriad of diverse roles for sure. Um, always a joy to watch whenever he's on the screen. But yeah, he's certainly a one of the more interesting characters that you know that he's played in recent times. Yeah, definitely. So he's alerted John to um, Perkins being there. Yeah. 
Um, and basically, to cut a long story short, we have a little bit of uh, an action sequence which ends with him knocking her out. Mm. This, is, this is quite a brutal. Well, well, for action it's quite a brutal scene, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's where he drags her back into the room. It, it's that suddenly is a bit horror film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, he gets a sort of tied to a chair or handcuffed to a chair and then get Clark Peters turns up. Clark Peters was also in the wire with um uh Lance Reddick. They were he was part of the same team. Um so that's where I know him from. He also had a very small role years ago in Notting Hill. If you think of the bit where Hugh Grant turned up to like see her and he's accidentally mm. drawn into like interviewing people for half the day for Horse and Hound magazine. Clark Clark Peters is one of the interviews. Oh right. He's one of the interviews where he's asking, What was your favourite bit? The bit in space. Yeah, that's <laughs> I him. Never knew that. Yeah. You'll notice it next time you see Notting Hill. That's Clark mm-hmm. Peters. He, again, he's one of those ones that I, I like I don't know where I've seen him from, but I've seen him. Well, you never stuff. watched and, the wire, and, he remind, and he reminds me of of like other actors as well, you know, when he's like kind of like Fred Williamson or something like that. He he kinda has that kind of Almost like sort of grand, genteel sort of um, actor with a, a fetching moustache. Yeah, lot, uh, though, much like Tom Selleck. With us having mentioned um, Bob Hoskins earlier, I didn't take the bet on bait on the moustache, did I? Never mind. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, it's the Mo- uh, the Mona Lisa, the Bob Hoskins film, which is my favourite Bob Hoskins film. It's a Neil Jordan film from 1986, British set. He comes out of prison. And he goes to work for, um, he's, he's sort of hanging out with Robbie Coltrane, who's like a car mechanic all the time, and probably living with him, I think. Mm. Uh, and he's trying to reconnect with his own daughter, and he goes to work for uh, Michael Caine, who, and he's driving a, a high-class prostitute around, uh, Kathy Tyson. And... The, the story goes from there but as he's sent out looking one of the sort of pimps in it's a guy called Anderson and it's Clark Peters and I've only yeah. just noticed that and he was way way younger then he looked a lot different but looking it through he's done quite a lot of TV he's done quite a lot of um, he's done some British TV as well so he was in stuff like Between the Lines which was a British cop show he was in Murder Most Horrid uh, he was in an episode of The Professionals, so he's done Is quite that a lot. Don French, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. French and Saunders, <laughs> Jonathan Saunders. Creek. He's done lots and lots of British <laughs> oh TV God. as well. So that, so you may have seen him in some of that. Looking through his filmography, I can't see a lot that you will definitely have seen. It does mention Notting Hill, but that's more or less a that's uh, more or less a cameo. He was in Marley and Me, which I refused to watch because it would upset me. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. Um, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Don't remember him in that film, but I've seen it. Um, so yeah, it, but he's got a very long. He's was in Midsummer Murders. I don't. How come he's done so much work in this country? He was in four episodes of Jessica Jones. Yeah, you you probably saw him in that. Um, I don't know. I, I need to look while you carry on. I'm going to look through and see how he ended up in this country doing so much. But there you go. Probably still best known for The Wire. So we end up with Adrian Palicki sort of tied to a chair, being watched by Clark Peters while John goes out. Yes. And that goes well, doesn't it? Yeah. So um, yeah. So he gi- yeah he gives him a coin. He gives a watch uh, watcher. So um, 
yeah, uh, where do we go from now? Yeah, he goes to the church, doesn't he? This, this yes, is where, he this, does. This is where Vigo's like stashing all his stuff, base essentially. Yes, he is. There's effectively downstairs a load of like gold there from currency. Uh, just as an aside, I am looking at Clark Peters. He moved to London in 1973, so that's what it is. He's he's American, but he's he's actually been British based for like 40 plus years. So that's why he's turned up in lots of things. But because he's still American, mm. he can play American in American shows. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is where we see. And yeah, what what he asks for. What does he ask the vicar, the priest? He asks him something and he says, please, they'll kill me. And he, 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 just, you know, well, he just cocks his gun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he asks him a question. I don't know if that's I don't know. Um. I'll I'll find out. It's to where the vault is. It's to where the vault is. That's it. He lights it on fire and does the walking away from a fire looking cool shot, which is the one cliched shot in the film because it's slow motion as well. Mm. So yeah, Vigo then learns of that. Then then what? There's like a there's a bit of a shootout, isn't there? Uh, well, there's a bit of a shootout, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's the it's at the church first. I'm not quite yeah. sure. Adrian Palicki gets out, dislocates her thumb to get out yeah. and kills Clark Peters. So she's now conducting <laughs> business on, on continental grounds, which you're not supposed to do. Um, Vigo and John must be about to meet soon. Yes, because um, he... Yeah, because he... Um, oh, what happens next? She kills him. Uh, yeah, because yeah, uh, John turns up and starts shooting at shooting everyone when he, when he turns up at the, the church. Right. Yeah, so like, oh, so like John's done what he's done, Vigo's shown up, and then John basically starts like sort of, you know, starts starts shoot, shooting shooting at all, all his guys because he, he's there to kind of find out where where his son is. Don't we get him explaining to um, Nyquist that about the dog and everything? Because it's like for a fucking dog, and it's like it, you know it wasn't. It was the yeah, last that happened because he, because he does get like caught because again the the guy from the the bar gets like gets in the car and sort of smashes basically sort of knocks knocks John out of it and they they capture him so they this is where like he, he's tied up. Yeah, the trailer shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm thinking I'm back. Yeah, so yeah, I've uh, been asked that and I haven't really answered it. And I always thought that was just part of the cool line, but actually, he is asked a few times and never directly answers it. So yes, this is the first time he says, "Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back." And he he's, he's basically surrounded and tied to a chair, and he's basically saying, "Tell me where your son is, or I will uh, kill you." And it's like you you can see why they might think you're not in position to make those threats, and he's immediately like plastic bag over the head and stuff and obviously marcus comes to his rescue again yeah and basically distracts him enough for for, uh, to to start an action sequence where he gets out and then i think yeah that's that's where we get to sort of um yeah he kills basically most of the guys yeah he he fights the 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 other bodyguard that was kind of his match while while being sort of tied up and he catched up with uh, um vigo yeah and he Kind of just goes, oh, okay, okay. I love the way he shoot. He gets Vigo's getaway car mm. and shoots it. And even the way he drops down off the 
because he stood on mm. the sort of the hood, the bonnet, as we call it, Tweely in the UK. Um, the way he sort of falls down to get off the bonnet is really cool as well. Mm. But he basically, uh, it's where Vigo just immediately and finally realizes, mm. I can't, I can't, I have to tell him where my son is now. I've yeah. got absolutely no choice. Um, tight as a drum, this film. We haven't wasted a shot now because the next shot is the safe house. Yeah. Uh, again, you got another big musical cue. We're just sort of like just killing, killing all these people in this big sort of warehouse. Uh, while one of um, your yeah, because they're on the roof and everything. They, they've yeah. got they've got every angle covered. But he slowly there. starts sniping yeah, taking people, taking them, taking them one by one. Mm. And you've got uh, Alfie Allen basically shouting at his mate to stop playing a video mm. game, and then that guy suddenly gets a bullet through the head. <laughs> well, that's quite yeah. brutal. The well, scene as well, isn't it? He starts picking up people one by one. You think, oh, bloody hell. It's actually a really well done shot. Yeah, the, no, really well really going well in and out in one shot, although it's slowed down slightly. And, really and, and while he's playing like some like Call of Duty as well. Yeah, they're playing. Like... Yeah, I was going to say, did you notice? Uh, I, I think that's quite interesting as well, because like, a lot of this... I remember sort of, sorry, reading sort of various reviews that they're kind of... Obviously, it's almost like video games, so any time I'm playing like Call of Duty, for example, it's kind of very like sort of looking in on itself. Yeah. A bit of a meta reference there as well. So I think that's quite a good, um, that's quite clever, really. Yeah, I'd say so. I, I, um, but it's just it's just very efficient. I mean, it it doesn't take long for Alfie Allen's character to be killed here. Um, and I just remember the shot because I think the last thing is he says it complains it was just a fucking dog, mm. and the look on. Reeves' face as he finishes him is like even that shot because I rewatched it yesterday in prep for this film. I watched mm. it. I've seen I've seen John Wick the first one about five times. I reckon I saw it when it came. I saw it on a rip. I saw it soon after. Mm. I've seen it somewhere in the three or four years that followed, probably on Netflix. I watched it for the original recording and then I watched it yesterday, and that's the first time I've noticed how expressive he can be in certain shots and i really realize now i'm i'm responding negatively to when to his verbal work there is actually nothing wrong with the expressiveness of keanu reeve as an actor and i i just love the look on his face when it's like job done with that guy yeah i mean i like the fact that he doesn't even get to finish what he's saying it's almost as if it's just like a casual like yeah Fuck well, you. John doesn't waste time, does he? No. I like that efficiency of action. Mm-hmm. Seems to date back to something like the Nolan Batman films, mm-hmm. where everything was probably actually born before it, where it was let's make every movement count and let's make it sort of swift, mm-hmm. and everything got a little bit less showy. And you know, John kills people fairly quickly and efficiently, and yeah, he, he would. Why would he want to hear it? Particularly as it's going to be clearly, it's just a dog, which we've already heard him say it mm. wasn't. Yeah, and um, it's it's just it's, I think also the fact that you know his opinion doesn't mean anything to him. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, no, fuck you, bam, <laughs> done. Yeah, and so we have shots of uh, Vigo like sort of you know sat at his desk smoking, kind of a bit. You know. Yeah, which is hard to watch because the actor died of lung cancer, I think. Mm. Yeah, I found that a bit difficult. It, it, it is when you just know that probably had yeah, some yeah, that fact. reference to Because he was only in his 50s when he died. Uh, he was in his late 50s and he died of lung cancer, 2017. 
Was it a late diagnosis as well, or was it? Six, he died. I don't know. I, I, I didn't know he was ill, and then I heard he died. Um, and I'd seen him in a few things, so I, I think if he'd had some sort of public battle with it, I might know. But mm, not necessarily. You don't know. I mean, but John Wick, he did 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. He did a lot of films mm. after after that one, actually. Um yeah, he was in a film with Pierce Brosnan, IT. Really, fun fact. Which I've not seen. Um, I've seen less than I thought I'd seen, but I mean, the girl with the dragon tattoo is like dozens before the end, and it's only about seven or eight years before he mm. died. But yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know. But obviously, he did die, and he was either he was fifty-six by the look of it. He yeah. wouldn't have even hit sixty by now. So very, very sad indeed. And I, I had no idea. I had no idea until it was announced. And it was like, really? He's not that old. Mm. No, he's very, very young, unfortunately. But anyway, he, he basically gets his guys to go and bring in Marcus, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so we get, like, so John Wick sort of leaves Continental. Um, he meets up with Marcus. And is he seen by Miss Perkins? Which kind of... Leads, you know, she kind of like leaks to Vigo the fact that you know Marcus hasn't fulfilled his contract. That's probably yes. the reason why. Yeah, well, we know where this leads because Winston's not in this film much. No, but I'm not quite sure where it runs in continuity. But obviously, Winston arranges for her to mm. be taken care of. Yeah, and the same cleanup crew to arrive to get rid of her. Yeah, so th- this happens a bit late at that because we have like uh, Vigo shows up at. Um, mm. At Marcus's house, uh, she's tangential to the. Oh, she is a little bit tangential. I think she finishes off Marcus actually. Yeah. not that way. Not in. <laughs> not well, in no, the, she, uh, a dying she shoots him. Uh, Vigo finishes him off, but he. She's He's pretty. Much, yeah, it, she 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 deals the decisive blow because he decides yeah. to go for it, doesn't he? Mm. And he nearly gets a bullet off at her, but um, after that, she's tangential till she's picked off. But yeah. Uh, Marcus is brought in. He knows what's happening. Calmly takes his coat off, and he has the living shit kicked out of him. Mm. They don't spare too much here. It doesn't really feel that gratuitous, but it's it's clear he's taking quite a hard hit. Yeah. And then the next thing we cut we cut away and cut back, and you know Vigo's putting his hand in ice and stuff like that. He's giving him a right mm. going over. Yeah. Um, uh eventually he goes for it and he he stabs him in the leg quite slowly and then when Marcus actually goes for it he he kills a couple of them but Mm. Adrian and then Vigo finish him off so Marcus is dead and that effectively signs Adrian's death warrant because she's grassed him up effectively yeah so I think pretty much in that scene uh, she's like called uh, by the Continental yeah Uh, and they beat well, it looks like it looks like it's Central Park, one of them like sort of. Um, so well, it's, like it's, an, it, it, it's an inside-outside structure, isn't yeah. it? It's it's under a roof, but it's it's sort of outside. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so she's we... shot. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, we'll see more of we'll see more of Winston in yeah. weeks to come. I, did he feel a bit of an afterthought in this film, Winston? Um, the uh, Becca, the Ian McShane character 
I, I can't tell. I didn't really see I enough of him. I I that's, that's probably my one complaint, if I've got any complaints about this film. Obviously, it's far from perfect. There are lots of little niggles here and there, but um, as the first film in, in this particular entry, love it. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, I didn't really see enough of him. I'd like to see more of him, please. Well, if you're gonna, you know, if you're going to have somebody like an actor of his kind of status, really. I mean, you will. He's more, please. Ne- <laughs> he's never going to be the lead, but you'll see. No, no. You know what I mean, though? I did see kind of feel he's just a bit underused. That was all. He's a little bit of a guardian angel for John. Yes. I, I will say this, though. Um, like, I didn't realise, because he, yeah, so he must be only been, like, in two or three scenes. And I never felt, I, I always, my impression was he was in a bit more, more than that. That's because of the sequels. That's yeah. why I asked Becca that question. Because it's like, well, Becky, you've only seen the first one. Yeah. What's your perspective of, of this guy? Time. But you, yeah, across the three films, he's he's much more of a major character. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I am trying to think like, sort of like retrospectively. He's, st- he's but... still only in a minority of the film. It's a yeah. John Wick film. You only ever really see him when they go, when they're at the Continental. But he's got a bit more plot relevance and a few more scenes in the sequels. Uh, yeah, and plus also he's really memorable. So and he's really memorable. Because his whole tone is just, yeah, he's just perfect for this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, McShane's made comments about shows in, in the past he's been in that are almost derogatory, like he said about Game of Thrones. Well, it's just tits and dragons, isn't it? And stuff like that. When I watch him in this show, this film rather, it's not a show, I feel like he really loves it. I just get the impression McShane is absolutely loving this. Yeah. It, like nothing I've seen him in since probably Deadwood. Yeah. Because he clearly loved doing Deadwood as well. Um, although I still haven't seen all of that. But again, it was another larger-than-life character with his own sort of part of the town, if you like. Mm. And again, John Leguizamo is always a really minor character, but you do see him again. And he has a little bit more to do and stuff like that. Um, we must be coming to sort of the final act now, Chris. Yeah, we are, because he uh, after... Um... After Miss Perkins gets, uh, you know, you know, sort of excommunicated, as you say, um, she uh, sort of uh, Winston gives John a call, tells him like basically sort of heads up, uh, a little certain someone may be sort of trying to escape on a uh, on a, on a helicopter because uh, yeah, they call for a helicopter, mm. which made me conflate it with a load of other films like the last um, Has Fallen film. Like um, one of the, there's a couple of the Marvel films that end that way and so on. I, I really thought we were going to get some big helicopter scene at the end. I'd forgotten there wasn't. I was getting confused with yeah, other I thought, films. I was like, ooh, helicopter scene. Nope. But it's fine. I can't <laughs> think what films now, but there were several films in recent oh, no, years that no. I've had something like. No, what's the film I'm thinking <laughs> of? Where tr- there's a sort of action sequence where they're trying to stop a helicopter taking off the pad. But anyway, don't matter. Um, Mission Impossible. No, it's not that. I'm thinking of a specific film, but I can't think which one it is. It's not a great film. But anyway, um, yeah, it's basically a bit of a car chase now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's basically sort That's of quite like... quite an epic car chase, I think. Well, it's a, it's a car chase shootout, isn't it, really? They're all, like, ramming and, you know... They r- never spare impact in this series. No. It, it all feels hard, crunching and painful and... Mm. Um, you really feel it, don't you? I, I think it's, it's very kind of visceral, and every kind of every sort of shot, every kind of punch, and you, you do really feel it. Well, yeah, that's what I, they did anyway. 
Definitely. I, I, I like all of this. And there are times where you're like, I, I can't see how he's going to get out of this. It, yeah, he's sort of, it's he's really sort of well, well really about the maker now but no, there are times like Jen the seat and the um, in the club for example you think oh that guy's been shot in a sensitive area or that guy's shot in the face you think oh mm. you know I sort of reacted in such a way <laughs> yeah absolutely so where do we what do we want to say about this scene if anything uh, I quite like the fact the driver's shitting himself <laughs> yeah, he's uh, that's, that's kind of cool when you got Vigo on the back seat right behind him laughing yeah and it, I don't think he's genuinely amused. I just think he's kind of like, bah, like, wow! I can't believe this is where we've got to with this. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, I guess it's one of those things that if you don't laugh, you cry. So you just sort of like. And oh. he is—he he, he is definitely traumatized by what's just happened to his son. I don't mm. want anyone listening to this to think he suddenly becomes a jokester or something. I think it is purely that, like, how did we get here? Just because mm. my son did what he did, you know. Um. So, yeah, it's a bit of like ramming the cars and all the rest. John mm. gets out of the car. There's a face-to-face. He does take out the driver. Um, but then it's a face-to-face between the two guys as mm. it starts to rain. And John actually pulls the blade into himself. Because yeah. Vigo says, uh, man-to-man, no weapons. But, of course, yeah. he does still have a knife, which he pulls out. And John actually does it to break mm. Vigo's arm, drags the knife into himself, then breaks the guy's arm. And then actually stabs him in the neck. Yeah. So Vico just sits there, and there's a lovely look on his face as he sort of realizes that's it, I'm beaten. Yeah. As like life is just dripping from him. Uh, and then John sort of has to get somewhere to stop his bleeding. So that's where, that's the context for the scene that we saw at the start of the film. Yeah. That, yeah, so you said it's it, critical, doesn't it? it? Kind of follows back around again. Yeah. Well, Chris said it looks like the back of a store, and he's absolutely right. But it turns out to be like the back entrance to a veterinary practice mm. um, and he goes in there basically to get some drugs and to like um, mark himself up watches yeah. the vid- and he's not watching the video with Helen because it's the last thing he wants to watch it's it's just a bit of inspiration so he goes in and sort of deals with his stab wound and finds another dog and just you know, steals a dog <laughs> that dog is marked for um I, I, you can see it if you get this a big enough screen. That dog is marked for euthanasia. Oh, okay. So basically, that dog was about to be put down. Oh. We just took the dog home. You see one of Very the. Very cute other... when it is too, and it walks nicely on the lead. Very well trained. Very well trained. Well trained, go away. And the only spoiler I'll give you for the sequels um, two things. First, does he survive? The dog's all right, so you don't Three. have to worry. Um, that's important the second thing is with the whole Daisy name thing he never names this this puppy this dog never gets a name that's the only bit I'll give away actually just just a good dog it's just a good dog and the dog is really good the yeah. dog will just sort of sit and wait good boy yeah, you'll see it in the sequels this dog's full of personality um, well, he's so a good boy he's going to be isn't he uh, final thoughts from me. I've not really got an awful lot to say. I just, I think it, it's pretty much tone perfect. I mean, it's got a few wry bits in it. Could it have used a bit more humour? Maybe. Every scene advances plot or character. That's always a great sign in any film that isn't Quentin Tarantino, um, <laughs> because he gets a bit of a pass on that for me. I don't mind. I don't mind so much there. But <clears throat> generally speaking, you're either pushing the story forward or you're telling us something about the people. This does that. 
the action is a well-established the action always uses the geography of where it is very well it varies the lighting although it tends to be on the dark side this film um the music could be too much but it's actually just a varied sort of almost tone makes the film this varied sort of vibe and sort of almost tone poem all the way through uh keanu reeves is a lot more talented than the general public um well or, or certainly movie snobs i include myself in that will have you believe although he has limitations uh, but those limitations are not shown up by what this film is trying to do. It keeps the law fairly light. It doesn't waste any time. And it introduces <clears throat> a new world, a new continuity, and something more for us to explore as we go forward. So, um, uh, yeah, love this film. That's it from me. Uh, Becca? Yeah, pretty much the same, really. I mean, I'm sort of you know, very much a newcomer to the series, but very much enjoyed this first um, first instalment. Um Keanu's always, you know, on, on top form. Um, the cast are fantastic. I say, as I said before, we obviously don't see him, see as much of Ian McShane, but obviously, you guys inform me that we see more of him as we go on. Um, so the music is there's this film does have a constant soundtrack, but it's, it's never once a problem. Um, I remember going to see Scorpion King randomly many years ago, um, and I sort of came away thinking of it. Oh, it's too much music. It was a really good score, but too much of it. I thought, and like here. It doesn't seem to be a problem. It's, it kind of sets the tone um, and accompanies the action in a really inobtrusive way. Yeah, it might be because it's bubbling away under underneath yeah. a scene rather than overwhelming it. Oh, it just kind of lacks. I can't think of an example, but I have been to see films where I came out and said the music got on my tits. There was way too much of it. Yeah. And I'm praising this film for having. So it, it doesn't really have a lot of silence, moment. but then it doesn't yeah. really need a lot of silence either. Um, well, but well, there isn't. They're in the continental, but there's a thematic reason for that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. Exactly. So I suppose you you can kind of if you had something like like Charlie on the show, for example, you'd probably be able to tell you why. Um, but I sort of come away thinking, oh, does this film have a have a, you know the music's great, but does it have a theme? You know, can you hum it? I'd say no, but that's. But you know that's that's not that's not a negative reflection for sure. Um, it, the fight choreography is is fantastic. Um, obviously, it's it's clear you know the pedigree um, with Josh Tosky and, and David Leach as well. They've obviously had you know sort of very, yeah, very seasoned pros um, on their stunt work. Um, so the, <laughs> the cinematography is is also um, also awesome. I love the stylish look of this film. Um, Chris sort of mentioned that it's kind of not. You know, you don't see too much kind of neon, but there is a bit of a tinge of neon as well. I do kind of like, you know, like that aspect to it. It's kind of vaguely futuristic and almost otherworldly. It is essentially kind of set in this other world, um, this underworld even, um, that exists just just beyond the surface. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Looking forward to uh, to chapters two and three. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I'll uh, close my final thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I love John Wick. I love the series. Uh, this was right up my street. Um and uh, yeah, I think one of the really surprises was it. I mean, apart from you know the obvious, the action's great, cast is great. Um, it's a really efficient action film, um, kind of thing. We you know we've we've not seen too much of recently, uh, bar from the raid. I think this was like you know, oh, thank God, you know, someone gets it. Um, oh but... yeah, I mean, I, I the one point I think I made in the original recording that I forgot to make tonight is I said that I put John Wick in my top 20 of the decade kind of as an avatar for the three really um, but I did put the second Raid 2 the, the second Raid 2 the second Raid film, <laughs> There's another one. second Raid 2 that'd be the Raid 3 wouldn't it Yeah. Uh, I put the Raid 2 higher 
the Ray Two really, really, really I loved. But yes, they're both they're both landmark action films from that decade. Sorry, Chris. Gore. That's right. Um, but uh, as we talked about before, um, one of the things that really struck out really was a surprise to me was like, oh my god, this film has a world. <laughs> you know, it's like the idea of this comic book world is like playing with coins and everyone's like sort of there's rules and it's like it's like oh I, I wasn't expecting that and it was kind of really kind of nice and got something out of it. Uh, yeah, the, so yeah, I think this is probably what gave it legs and what gave it that extra interest. Yeah, it's like Assassin's Creed done well. You've got this really <laughs> rich universe you can do things with, mm. and obviously they fluffed the film on that, but there there is something to dig into and build on here. The trouble is, it's a balancing act of how much before you're literally just short showing us law. Yeah, but it's a good introduction. But as as again, it's it, it is kind of the you know it 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 pulls off the you know the whole samurai resting kind of angle, um, you know, and also with this like you know, noir kind of sort of style with great action. So what's not to love? To yeah. Be so. I think we're on balance. I, I think we'll be positive about all three films, but I think there'll be, we'll start having minor reservations as we go forward. Certainly, me and Chris, because we've talked about it offline, not recently, but in the past, and I think we've both got similar reservations about the two that follow. But they're both, but it's a highly superior series all the way through. We're not, we're not going to be slaughtering any of these. Oh no, because at the end of the day, like you know, they're all um, great. The third well, one. I- wonderful action well yeah i mean that's that's just the thing i mean and they they are action films and you know the one key thing this film has to deliver is action and you know regardless of what you think they deliver in that aspect. so I, i've got you know quite a few problems with the third one but like the the action is the most inventive of the series mm. you know there's there's bits in that film where it, it's showing a sort of level of inventiveness i've not seen since like jackie chan mm. you know using the environment and just that sort of thing but we'll get to all of that Really, I'm keen most at the moment to make sure I've shored up my knowledge on this particular instalment, Chris. Yes, because you, you, you've watched the film, you just reviewed the film, but now you want to actually want to know the film. I want to know the film. I want, I, after that, I'll try feeling the film, but <laughs> let's take it one step. I think we all tried time. feeling the film. I think I'll, I'll buy it dinner first. Though. I, I, can, I, you, I, can you touch it? Can you taste it? Can you smell it? I, can you I, see it? Can you hear it? I think some... Um, some knowledge just just to make sure that you're fully informed that you know you've done a co- coherent review just to make sure that you know that we reviewed the film we reviewed the film properly i think and also need. the fact that when i get to the sequels i won't be making assumptions on this world that are just erroneous because i was dumb as shit <laughs> the first time round. yes yeah, um, so you want some reassurance don't you I do. Um, do do we have anything in our sort of format that suits that requirement <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's the end of the show, isn't it? Um... Uh, well, it can't. It can't be social media and good night. That's not going to be helpful at all. No. Um, Becca, what... thoughts? You'd be surprised. So, <laughs> I have a couple of facts. Some of which are about the film, and some of which are proper facts. Like shooting bastards in the face. Obviously. If you listen to the show, then you know that we're fans of the um, Cabo de Mayo show, um, flagship film program on Radio Five. Uh, and back... podcast available worldwide. I yes, think. do check it out. I think we have listeners from other countries who listen to it. So yes. If you are, sadly, I've just realised I've not actually listened all year, so I've got a year's worth of podcast to catch up on. 
Like if you are a bit of tangy. Films you're interested in. <laughs> yeah, or just watch watch his um, rants on uh, mm. on YouTube. Mm. But obviously, back in um, 17th of February, 2017, um, he's promoting John Mick too, uh, speaking to Simon, I think he was, um, around the, I had to look this up, right, the 10.43 mark, um, 10 minutes, 43 seconds mark. Um, obviously, they take sort of listener questions and somebody writes in and asks, so is John Mick a hero or an anti-hero? Uh, his answer is famously, it's content, baby. It's both. Mm. Um but I just, I, I think for, for that year, I think probably the last couple of years, that that quote has kind of has lived on. They have, they um, still reference it. Yeah, I, I think I think they still do. I say I said I've not listened this past year, um, twenty nineteen. Apologies. Um, so yeah, I might sorry have to if you're listening, lads. Excommunicate myself from the church of entertainment. Although um, I'm clearly getting tired because I just had a moment then where I was absurdly excited because well. I just thought, my thought process then when you mentioned Kermode and Mayo is I don't always listen to the show. If I've got a, like a long drive, I'll do it. But quite often there'll be nothing out that week I'm that bothered about. And if there is, I'll just go to YouTube and watch that review or listen to that interview. So I've already heard the interview uh, with Tom Hanks. I've listened to A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood and so on. Then it just occurred to me because I've been to see the rhythm section tonight, the Eon production films with um, Blake Live. Eon yeah, Bond film. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I best go there and check out what he said about that um and then i but i forgot i'd already clicked on their link and i was really excited because i was about to announce to all our listeners that we now have two hundred eighteen thousand subscribers oh right. <laughs> and then i realized no that's kermit kermit and mayo <laughs> that'd be amazing if we had that got a few less than that anyway continue to fact me so i stop making so sin such silly <laughs> errors of a, tired, judgment. a tired brain yes carry on i thought um, yeah, so that's I love that quantum baby yeah. quote. I think that's hilarious. It is a good quote. Um, yeah, so and I, he's I, a good interview. He is, he a is good really interview. good interview. I think. Yeah. I mean, like I said at the top of the show, he does get slated, but I, I think he kind of gives as good as he gets, if that makes sense. So. And he he seems a very nice man. Mm. He seems so. lovely. I'm sure he's lovely in real life. Um, so yeah, given that obviously that, that, that John Wick is given a pup at the start of the film, here are some doggy facts. Fun fact number one, the dog that he owns at the start of the film is actually not a female pup named Daisy, but a man named Andy. No. A man. <laughs> <laughs> He's quite versatile as an actor, isn't he? <laughs> That's a Simpsons I, reference really randomly, just because it's called Andy. I, I, I don't reckon you mean ma'am. <laughs> There's a little beagle pup named Anthony who is eight weeks old at the time of filming. Um, beagles are scent hounds, traditionally used for hunting rabbits, um, hare, another small game. Um, breed dates back to the 1300s and they're established in Britain by the 15th century and are the smallest of the British pack hounds. Um, fun fact number three, some babies, famous beagle fanciers include the Queen, who apparently listens to the show. Um, LBJ. I thought she only had corgis, I didn't know that. Yes, this is it. Well, yeah, she's known for it as well. All so, right. so but... what did you say? Did you just say LBJ as well? LBJ, yep. Right, okay. Jun's cool. um, presidency. And uh, Barry Manilow. <laughs> Randomly. Barry Manilow, okay. All right. <laughs> just really random. Um, I found out before, obviously, at the end of the film, he adopts a uh, pitbull pup who would otherwise be put to sleep. Um, pitbull terrors sadly illegal in this country due to stupid um dda laws which i don't agree with um 
Yes, yeah, so I have so. tweeted on that in the past. That is the dumbest piece of legislation I, I I've do, seen I in do my understand. life. I, I, up I, against really stiff competition, because the thing with most legislation is it gets written in a hurry, and it's got it loads of holes and problems with it. This well, like a knee-jerk reaction. It was a knee-jerk reaction to about five attacks over like yeah. a period of time. Not all of them pit bulls. Some of them like no. Rottweilers and stuff like that. Quite often the dog being teased and they unilaterally banned the dog from this country. You cannot Ridiculous. get football here. Ridiculous. Wankers. Like in the shelters, you know, across the UK and everything as well. They're just full of them, which is which is a shame. And um, the propaganda worked because, like, I remember when I was a kid, like, being scared of the concept of them because I just thought they were this awful, violent dog. And exactly. they were only bought for fighting actually, and stuff like lovely. that. And actually, they're not. Patrick Stewart's got one in the new Picard show because he uh, rescues them. There we are, and exactly. It's one of the reasons he doesn't spend a lot of time in this country because you can't have them here. No, exactly. But he, he fought for you know, to have his pup in that show just to kind of you know, try and be an advocate for the breed. So, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't generally agree with None of us are particularly fond of it, fond of that at all. It's, it's, it was, I just remember it happening and it was... It was, not to pick on a specific paper, but just as an example, it was lawmaking driven by, like, the Daily Mail. It just Ugh. was. It was just a few shitty headlines to slate a dog breed, and they got banned. Yeah, it's a bit difficult to so. say. But, like, when you hear, you know, person mauled to death by dog, invariably it will be, like, a bull terrier-type dog, obviously. Hopefully not a pit bull if they're, if they're illegal, but... There's some other, you know, I think there's Japanese Toza and Dogo, uh, oh, Argentina as well, as well. Um, cover the, you know, baiting type dogs. But yeah, invariably when you hear like a small child or a person mauled to death by a dog, it invariably will be a bull breed, which is very unfortunate. There was um, talk, wasn't there talk, there was talk about adding staffies to the description yeah. as well, getting rid of those. Yeah. And of course, Becca, you've owned a staffie. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. They, I, every staffy I've met has been. No, I'd say for these days with our, with our crazy cocker spaniel. But um, yeah, it's just it's one of those really things. It's like it's really dangerous. If you, you know, if you have any dog, you know, keep it on lead. It could be like the most dopiest, friendliest thing ever. But just keep it on the lead. Um, you know, if anything happens, basically don't sign, don't sign anything. That's basically signing death warrant. So that's my advice, especially if you own staffoid. So. so no such thing as a bad dog, only bad owners. Yeah, did not breed. Well done. Yay. Anyway, but yeah, this endeth the uh, the lecture. Uh, fun facts about the film. Um, obviously, the film's directors were previously stunt coordinators and second unit directors on the Matrix movies. Um, and Chad Stahelski obviously was Keanu Reeves' stunt double um, on the Matrix films. Um, so no wonder the the fights, uh, the film's fight scenes, um, contain such elaborate choreography. Um, and also, the cemetery at the start of the film. If you're wondering where you've seen that before. It's actually the Calvary Cemetery on Greenpoint Avenue in Queens, and you also see it in classic movies like The Godfather, which you covered on the show, and Midnight Cowboy, which we haven't covered on the show. So that's my fun facts. I'm pretty sure it's always used in uh, in in any kind of like. Sorry, what few... song was that? What's always used? Sorry. The the. Oh, few... the, the sorry. Yeah, the, the, sorry. The, the cemetery scene at the start of the film. You see it on The Godfather and very. Oh, I'm films. sorry. I thought you were referring to a song. I didn't know the. Oh no, sorry. <laughs> Cemetery scenes, yeah, they turn up at everything. No, but uh, this particular cemetery is, I think, it's typically quite typical seen it in before. New York, don't you? Because you've got, like, the view. I think you got the view of the rest of, like, the city and things like that. And... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've... that's true. Actually, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's an Amazing Spider-Man 2 as well. I think yep, it is. Yeah, you might be right. 
It is. I've seen it in an episode of NYPD Blue. I've seen it a very early episode of that show. I think it's the same cemetery that um, uh, Sal Tessio goes up to Michael at yep. in Godfather. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, it is. I was like, this looks familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. I, I hadn't really made that link, but yeah. Uh, also, um, fun fact: um, Jason Isaacs of uh, Wittertainment. Hello, to Jason. <laughs> was was uh, was apparently going to be uh, Wilson, but uh, dropped out. Oh. What was he? he what was, was he doing instead? Wilson. Okay. He, he was going to be yes. Yeah, he was going to be um, the yes, uh, might have Winston. Worked. Sorry, not Wilson. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so Ian Shane replaced Jason Isaacs apparently, according to IMDb trivia. Uh, also, the um, the uh, the original concept of John Wick was going to be like an older kind of aging guy. They were, you know, they were the same idea, but not, obviously not as. Um, well, they cast the same age. They just cast someone who. <laughs> yeah, but Joey, you know, I think it was supposed to be like a bit more, like you know, I would say Clint Eastwood esque, like like an old old guy who was just oh, like surely, surely Liam Neeson would fall into that. Probably, I think. Yeah, I think it was originally going to be not not as like not as high body count and not as like energetic action, but like subdued, a bit more like mm. restrained and a bit more a bit more kind of like that. Uh, but obviously, with Reeves, when it. When it came to casting, I think it just sort of happened. Also, the the guy who uh, the actor who played the uh, the guy in the medic is also the the the, the key the key master in uh, the Matrix films. The key yes, master. yes, yes, he is. He is. Yes, I remember that now. Again, not made the link, but yes. Now, now you say it, I can picture it instantly. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, that that that's that's. Lots of fun from different directions. And uh, AJ and uh, Miss Perkins was originally going to be uh, a guy. Richard, well, oh, you're, you're spoiling <laughs> it now. I was, I was factied out, and then there was more. There's more. That's it. That's it. I won't, I won't fact you out too much. And I, I, I blew my <laughs> I blew my load early on Wonder Woman. No, hang on. I lot of money on this show. I didn't blow my load on Wonder Woman. That's not what I meant. Anyway, yes. So that as well. We wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any version, we're desperate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that's fun, folks. Social media, you can find me at the Pasty Kid. Let me try that sentence again because I fucked it right up. As for social media, you can find me at the Pasty Kid nineteen seventy six on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter on Cinematronics. You can also find uh, all the all the podcasts and episodes on Cinematronics.co.uk, which are available on. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and uh, Spotify, um, and anywhere else you care to Google. And some weird Chinese site, one of our listeners has, asked, has listened to our rankings episode and is asking what that site was. So, was Becca, Becca, you'll have to let you'll have to let him know. Yeah, uh, I need to find. I need to find out what it was. Um, really random Chinese site. I was like, where is that? Why were you on a random Chinese site? Well, I I, did, I just <laughs> literally Googled. The, um, yeah, you googled talk. us to see where we were, right? Yeah, and I was like, where, where else can we find it? Because as the new one is Podchaser, is, is another new one which we've popped up on. As um, long as it's picking us up automatically, we don't need to worry about it, do we? It's just like it, it, no, great. it's just another, another platform, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I need to find out that site. It was very strange. I was like, oh, okay, which I, I didn't mind, but it's not a problem. Um, but I was like, oh, unexpected. Yeah. Okay. All right. Where else? Yes, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can yeah. at Expect Us to Talk. 
cool. Um, worth mentioning YouTube as well because the viewership's growing for that lately, and I don't really know why it hasn't grown to two hundred eighteen thousand though. I've misread that. <laughs> Coming soon, but yes, you can check out us on okay. YouTube if you head up the YouTube site and just type in "Do you expect to talk?" You can find us on there, as you can all our amazing back catalogue. Uh, quite a long back catalogue now. So mm, 171 named episodes, pl- numbered episodes, and about seven that are sort of effectively non-canon, if you like. And Chris and I do Cinematronics every year on the summer. So we've done one, two, three, four, five, about six episodes of that. So yeah, yeah, there's about 180 episodes of us or variants. I, of... I, I might pick up and start doing a bit more regular episodes eventually, but you know, watch the space. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I held my breath four years ago. I've been, <laughs> I died, and I've been broadcasting from the afterlife ever since. Okay, we're underway with John Wick finally, which uh, means Becca. Surprise, surprise. Do you expect to talk or return with John Wick, chapter two? <laughs> 